This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 207 for Thursday, December 12th, 2013. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, so we are in the second episode for the month of December as of right now, we will be doing a show on the 26th, uh, right after Christmas. Uh, hopefully that should be, it should be live that night. I don't know if we're going to do a pre-tape show or not. We'll see how Christmas goes and then we'll take it from there. But otherwise, um, you know, worst case scenario, we will definitely make sure to get something out that week. On the flip side, of course, we also, are probably going to do some pre-recorded stuff because I think maybe the first week of the year there may not be a show that Thursday. That would be January 2nd, I believe. As of right now, it's tentative at best, but of course, if the schedule changes, I will make sure to let you guys know. But as of right now, everything seems on schedule with shows for the duration of December. A couple of other things I wanted to get out of the way, just some housekeeping um, Stitcher actually announced their Stitcher Awards, and you can nominate us to get a Stitcher Award, which would be pretty fucking cool, actually. Um, I'll make sure to post up the link and all the stuff later on today, so you guys can nominate us if you wish, or not, you know, I don't give a shit, doesn't really bother me, but it'd be cool if we got one. I nominated some of our fellow GFQ shows, because there are a lot of great and talented guys that are on the network with me. So, um, what the tech with Paul Therott and Andrew Zarian, Matt Men, uh, T4 show, a couple of different shows I, I tossed out there. When you need a quick holiday present, why are there go pop-ups? to Walgreens.com. Ugh, fucking pop-ups. Anyway, so, Stitcher nominations, the link will go up for that later this evening. Hopefully, uh, we'll get everything squared away with that. Also, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned it last week, but we are now officially on Spreaker. Now, the good thing is with the Spreaker service, you'll be able to uh, listen to the show via iHeartRadio. So not only are we on Blog Talk Radio, Mixler, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, but the plan is that we will be also airing shows on iHeartRadio. Once it's officially up and running, I'll be able to share all the details with you guys. But Right now, they are on Spreaker, and hopefully within the next two weeks, 
we should be on iHeartRadio as well. So we're very excited about that. Also, uh, we got a guest this evening. We're going to be joined by uh, Jonathan Lugo. He is the president of the Apex Series. That's a video game tournament that will be going on this January in New Jersey. It is the our hopes to be covering that event, and we're going to be discussing that at length tonight. We're also going to be talking about some gaming news. Excuse me. And a uh, couple of other things as well. Uh, we've been trying to set this up for quite some time, myself and uh, Mr. Lugo. But, of course, things, schedules, things get in the way. And um, right now, everything's a lock. So he should be joining us around 11.45, quarter to 12. And we should be able to get right into that. Maybe we'll use that as our segue into the gaming segment. Uh, we, I've been trying to get my show notes up and running while I'm doing the show. And of course the soundboard for whatever reason is not working. So, um, if you guys got anything other than soundbite as a recommendation for an, uh, PC based soundboard, definitely drop me a line. Cause, uh, this soundbite software, it's crashing every, every week it seems, but, um, occasionally it works. So hopefully I'll get it running before we get into this week's opening segment. Also, Wanted to get into a couple of things. Um, for those of you that know me off air and follow me on Facebook, I, uh, I made some commentary last week, I believe. And the commentary was about, um, pretty much something that if you run a website or a blog or anything, you're probably all too familiar with. And that is, uh, networking with a lot of people, creating a Rolodex. And what ends up happening is you never hear from these people ever, ever. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been doing this since 2006. This isn't my first rodeo. Don't let the 200 episodes fool you. But, um, the funniest thing is that along, along the, along the way, we meet a lot of cool people. We meet our fair share of douchebags, our fair share of assholes, but you know, we, we, we really enjoy every relationship that we cultivate on air and off air with our listeners as well as with uh, fellow broadcasters, fellow blog owners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm not going to throw this person under the bus, but somebody reached out to me about um, spreading spreading the word about an event that they were doing, that they're doing this month. Now, here's the thing. I am very helpful. You guys know that. I got no problem offering up information, uh, referring people to sites or services, uh, helping people establish connections, get their foot in the door, whatever the case is. That's just, that's just something that I, that I do. You know, I, I like to pay it forward. And, um, you know, in this case, it's no, it's no different, but this, this individual, the funny thing is, um, never hear hide nor haired from this person, nothing, uh, you know, not a tweet, not the, uh, the casual hello, nothing. Now, the thing that gets me with that is, all right, this person sends me this event and I look at the event and I'm like, oh, you know, it seems pretty cool. But like I said, never hear anything from the person, not a, you know, hey, how's it going? How's your family? You know, how's the site coming along? Nothing, just regular, hey, can you do this? Not even a preamble. You know what I'm saying? Like, at least if it, if you pick up a hooker in the street, you have some small talk before she gets to work on you. Not even that. We don't even get the, the courtesy of a, of a, uh, of a preamble. So this individual just, Hey, you know, promote this shit. So, you know, I didn't, 
I don't want to throw people under the bus. I try to remain a consummate professional, and um, I'm not going to do it. So, like I said, I took the invitation for the event, and I deleted it. Because I didn't want to have to go through the repetitive exercise of, hey, you know, the, the what have you done for me lately spiel. It seems petty and foolish, and I just decided not to do it. So I posted that on Facebook. I'm like, listen, you know, I don't hear from anybody, whatever, whatever. If you send me some shit to promote something for you, and I don't talk to you, not even a hello, whatever, then rest assured I'm deleting it. It's going into the round file, a.k.a. the garbage. So don't be shocked. Don't be bent out of shape if that's how we got to do it. So turns out this individual was was a fan of the show, followed the show on uh, Facebook, followed the show on Twitter. I mean, f- still follows the show on on Twitter. But strangely enough, I look at our at our fan counts and I'm like, huh. And I noticed that this person uh, stopped following the show on the Facebook fan page. And and I'm going to be honest with you when I tell you I don't give a shit. <laughs> I I it sounds petty and fucked up, but yo, I it doesn't bother me. You know what I mean because I'd rather have Oh. Looks like the uh the video went down. All right. So video, no video. Can you guys let me know if we have video in there? All right, let's try that again. What do we got? Video? No video? All right, uh, now I don't see the video. Hold on a second. All right, we got video up and running. Let's see. All right. Thank you, Mortis. Anyway, so this person decided, hey, yeah, we're not going to follow the show on Facebook anymore. And like I said, I it doesn't bother me that that the person did that, whatever, to each his own. But I'm going to be 100 percent honest with you guys. Um, listen, those of you that tune into the show that have been ride or die since episode 200, I genuinely appreciate you. Those of you that... um you know, that have joined us over the years. I really appreciate you. But let's be honest. If you can't bring yourself to not reach out to me as a person, as an individual, and you only want to use MTR as a platform to promote whatever rinky dink garbage you guys have under, under your, under your skirts, then I don't need it. I don't. And whether they listen to the show or don't listen to the show, these are the facts. If, you know, if I don't talk to you guys, I don't hear from you guys, any of that shit, rest assured that I'm not going to promote, I'm not promoting your stuff. Not happening. No kind of promotion whatsoever. Because it's, it's an insult. It's an insult and a disservice to, you know, build a relationship and I don't even get a, hey, how's your family? Or not, not even a congratulations because I got married, which is really shitty. Because that was fucking everywhere. Not to say that I promoted it because I didn't, but people put it out there and, and these people follow me on social media. So the shit was out there. But, um, yeah, I just want to make it known that if you run a site, a blog, some sort of, uh, the, the, some sort of good bullshit that you put together in your spare time with an etch a sketch and some crayons 
and GIMP because you can't afford Photoshop. Uh, don't, don't ask us for nothing. Don't, don't do it. Um, don't do it. Don't ask us to promote nothing. Don't ask us to retweet nothing. Especially don't ask us to approve anything on N4G. M4G can eat a bag of dicks, and those of you that ask me to approve to approve something can eat a bag of dicks also, because we're not doing it. I don't do it. Don't fucking do it. So please, if if you can't support the work we do here, but yet we're friends on Facebook, I don't even need you to be my friend, because one is part of the other. It's relative to the other. Simple as that. If Jay says to me tomorrow, "Hey, Rich, you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna go to NXT and try out." I'd support them 110%. I'd make sure to promote it on air and do it on the site and whatever because that's what, what people do for each other. But don't, don't, don't hit us up when you want to promote whatever rinky dink event you're doing. I don't care what it is. Don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a, if it's a charity function for crippled llamas or, you know, stoning the homeless on Christmas day. No, don't do it especially if I don't hear from you. So I figured I'd share that with you guys because it's, um, it's, it's just fucked up. And I, I, I said it on Facebook today. I'm like, listen, if you can't support the show, which is an extension of me, then clearly we're not, we're not really friends. Simple as that. Slick says in the chat, what if Slick says he is taking over the world? Then clearly Slick will have our support as well. Anyway, but I figured I'd share that with you guys. Um, couple of things I wanted to get out of the way. Uh, tonight's topics, we're going to talk UFC Fight Night 33, but we're going to try to talk UFC Fight Night 33 if my show notes work. Uh, we're also going to be discussing the, a, a good one. We're going to be discussing the NPD numbers for the month of November. So uh, I'm sure you guys are going to love that. Last but not least, we're also going to be getting into, and this is a good one, uh, of course, like I said, we're going to talk to Jonathan Lugo from the Apex series, but we're also going to get into a ton of awesome movie news that went down this week, which um, some are better than others. We got some casting news, some casting rumors that I want to discuss, and that's that's probably going to be the highlight of tonight's show. Again, our call number 347-324-3541, and um, Jonathan Lugo should be joining us at 1145, but... Let's get into this week's MMA because there is quite a bit to discuss. So this past weekend, we were treated to UFC Fight Night 33, Mark Hunt, versus Antonio Bigfoot Silva. Now, when you look at this card on paper, you say to yourself, ah, you know, it's a pretty decent card. This card was fucking legendary. I kid you not. This was a legendary card for a multitude of reasons. Not only did we have a bunch of slugfests, but we just had amazing, amazing fights. Now, I do, I do want to talk about a couple of fights that bummed me out. Uh, Julie Kedzie, uh, she faced against, uh, Beth Carrera. And it was, it was, it was a solid fight. Very enjoyable fight. Um, but unfortunately, Julie Kedzie was on the losing end, losing via split decision. I, I was kind of bummed about that 
just because I, I like Julie Kedzie. She's very personable and um, extremely enjoyable to watch. And I was bummed to see her lose. And we got some crazy news about that as well, um, which was really crazy. Hold on a minute. Slick is telling me a couple of things here. Uh, I am not on the mic. Hold on a second. Huh. Try this. Thank you for the update, Slick. No? Guess not. Bear with me one second, folks. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please enter your host. Our menu has recently changed. Please listen carefully to the new prompts. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. Yeah, clearly. Clearly Blog Talk Radio doesn't even let me know when I'm disconnected from their feed. Thank you for that, Slick, because, you know, why would why would it work? Why would it work the way I needed to? Anyway, as I was saying, really bummed about Julie Kedzie losing in her in her fight, and um, I got some news regards to that that just finished like driving the nail in the coffin. Besides, my buddy, one of my favorite fighters, Pat Barry, getting knocked out in the first round uh, against Soa Pele. It was, uh, and I'm sure I am sure that um. Mortis is gonna is gonna break my chops about the the uh, the Pat Barry fight, just because Pat Barry's had a lot of highs and lows, wins, losses, wins, losses, wins, losses. Then all of a sudden, he's just done, and I'm like, oh, what the fuck, man? You know. And not only that, but it was just disgustingly brutal. Uh, pretty much, somebody described it as Soa Donkey Kong's Pat Barry. That's what I saw on Twitter, and I was just I was just heartbroken and devastated. Like I said, I'm a Big Pat Barry fan. You follow him on all social media. Um, and see, Mortis said, I like Pat Barry, but I had Soa KOing him in the first round. Damn it, Mortis. Damn you. But yeah, it was, um, just, just devastating for me. Like I said, big Pat Barry fan. And we went from that devastating knockout to a Ryan Bader certified ass whooping of Anthony Paroche for three rounds. It was pretty much Ryan Bader versus a sparring dummy. Which, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely not the way to go. Then, of course, that was redeemed by Shogun pretty much claiming the soul of James Tahuna in his fight. He was pretty much playing the role of Shao Kahn, just taking, taking Liu Kang's soul. That's, that's pretty much how it went. It was ridiculous. And, um, it was, here's the thing. The first thing that people say is, oh my God, Shogun is back. Shogun never left. People seem to forget that fighters have a, I don't want to say they have a, they fluctuate, but when you look at somebody like Shogun, Shogun's a guy that he's, he's pretty, he's pretty solid. And like anybody else, he might, he might have a bad training camp. He might be nursing a couple of injuries, but Shogun is always exciting to watch. Even when he's, even when he's regular, you know, he's, he's an exciting, exciting fighter to watch. And I was very, very pumped to see him pretty much soul destroy uh James Tahuna not 
Not that I dislike James Tahuna, but Shogun is Shogun. Uh, Pride Fighter, Pride Never Die, and I'm always going to support those guys. Even, even if they lose 20 in a row, I'm going to support them because those are the guys that were my, they were part of my, my initiation into MMA. You know, the, the Vanderlei Silvas, the Rampage Jacksons, the Mirko Krokop, those, those guys, legends, you know, Takanori Gomi, Fireball Kid. It's, it's, those are the fights that you go back and you watch them and you just wince at when, when you see a guy like Vanderlei Silva just soccer kicking somebody in the head, you wince when you see it because you know, you know, it's going to be bad news. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I miss. But guys like Shogun, those are warriors, man. Those are guys that, that fought during the, the real brutal days of mixed martial arts. Like I said, you had head stomps, soccer kicks to the face, just, just brutal, brutal stuff. So I'm glad to see Shogun is on the winning track. Now, Mark Hunt versus Antonio Bigfoot Silva was without a doubt the greatest heavyweight fight that I've seen in quite some time. That's not to say that championship fights aren't solid, but this is without a doubt one of the most, and, and, you know, this is a misused word and, and Slick knows this, but it was an epic fight. Like you watch this fight, you are on the edge of your seat from start to finish. These were, these were guys that were, see, and I see, I see him, I see him grimacing in the chat, but Slick, I kid you not, pull up Bigfoot Silva versus Mark Hunt. The highlight should be on YouTube and you will see that it was just five rounds of just, just violence, giant, like pretty much Mark Hunt unleashing standing elbows and Bigfoot Silva eating those elbows like nothing and then just, just clubbing Mark Hunt. It was, it was disgusting. It was, it was such a great fight to watch. And it's funny because you talk about like Shogun and Hendo, which was an amazing war. This was the type of fight that it was. This fight was so violent and so split that it actually ended in a majority draw. And it's funny because people are like, oh yeah, you know, shit ends in a draw. This is bullshit. And I'm like, listen, the only way one of those guys was going to sleep is if he was dead. That That's it. One, like one guy pretty much had to kill the other guy. One guy legitimately had to take a knife out and stab the other guy in the heart to end that fight. That fight was a problem. And those are the kind of fights that really, they reinvigorate you as a fan. Because you're watching the fights and you're saying to yourself, wow, these guys, you got guys that they're, you know, the, the, the cap is 265. You know, these are 200 plus guys swinging leather for, for 25 fucking minutes. 25 minutes of just madness. Mortis says it in the chat. They look like two swaying towers in the fifth round and still throwing bombs. Those are the fights that you need to watch. Those are the fights that you tell people, hey, you need to see this fight and they'll instantly become a fan because that's what happens. A lot of guys that I know, they start watching MMA and they go, oh man, this fight is too slow. This fight is boring. Then I tell them, look up Hendo versus Shogun or Benson Henderson versus Showtime Pettis or Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner, it, it, you know, the list goes on and on of just fantastic fights, epic fights, you know, Carlos Condit, Nick Diaz, it, you know, regardless of the outcome, those are, that's a fight that you look at and you go, I could watch that fight again. And not only that, but the, the crazy thing that gets me is that these guys, you look at them both and Antonio Bigfoot Silva is, is a beast. 
He is a beast. He is a ginormous human being. His head looks like one of those Easter Island statues. It is, it is ridiculous. And Mark Hunt, the Super Samoan, this guy's been fighting since the pride days. And every time you think you can write him off and cross him off, it, he just comes back and delivers amazing, amazing performances. Mortis is saying, which, um, which heavyweight fight was better? Hunt Silver or Fry Takayama? Uh, you know what's funny? They're both good for two different reasons. Hunt and Silva was good because it was just a war for 25 straight minutes. Fry Takayama was, was amazing because those guys legitimately just stood holding each other's one, one hand behind the other's head and just consistent punches to the face, which was ridiculous. Um, slick, if you can pull up Don Fry versus Takayama and throw that in the, uh, chat room. If you would be so kind, you, this, this definitely was an insane display of violence as well. Uh, Mortis is saying Hunt is a late bloomer. The UFC never thought he could make an impact in the UFC. They were going to pay him to not fight in the UFC. It's great. It's true. He said, he's like, yeah, you know, they, they wanted me to stay home. They didn't, they didn't believe that I could compete. And it's like, listen, you got a guy, you got a 200 plus plus guy with, with the equivalent of a cinder block for a fist. I don't give a fuck. The guy's guaranteed to kill somebody guaranteed and mark hunt that's what he does if you watch his fight with with um with stefan struve that was that was insane the way that fight went he he crumpled that guy and stefan struve is is no he's no slouch either but mark hunt crumpled that guy it's it's insane and i was i was happy for both fighters because that that fight was it's one of those fights that people say that there was magic there there was magic in that fight the way it went down. It was, it was just an, an amazing, amazing display of heart and, and violence. And it's, if, if you are new to the sport or new to the show, there's, there's always certain fights that I tell people they should watch. Griffin Bonner, uh, Fry Takayama, uh, any fight with Vanderlei Silva you could find, especially a lot of the pride shit. Um, anything with uh, any of Fedor shit, definitely watch. Um, most of John Jones fights, anything, any of the early GSP stuff was really good when he was just beasting on dudes right before he lost to, um, to Matt Sarah and he was just going ape and not fighting, you know, safe. But, um, yeah, I was, I was thoroughly impressed. UFC fight night 33 was a, an awesome card from start to finish. Now let's talk about bonuses. Of course, it should be no surprise uh, Shogun got knockout of the night and fight of the night, of course, went to Mark Hunt and Antonio Bigfoot Silva. That was a $50,000 bonus. Of course, no submission of the night bonuses were handed out because it was pretty much decisions and fuckers getting separated from their conscience. So that's, that's pretty much it. You know, we're, it's 50 grand of just people getting smashed in the face and put to sleep. Not, not a bad night. Of course, like I said earlier, Julie Kedzie lost in her fight via decision. And she announced that she was going to be retiring from the sport of mixed martial arts. And I was, I was really bummed. I mean, she was 16 and 13 in her MMA career, 0 and 2 in the UFC, but just a, a tremendous personality who, you know, the times that she's done color commentary for fights, you can see that there's just a, a wealth of fight knowledge there. And she said that she wants to apply her, her trade to teaching the fighters of the future. And I think she definitely has, a career in that, but she also, in my opinion, has a great career as an analyst because she is, um, 
she's very observant of little things that a lot of guys, they just kind of gloss over. And not only that, but you could just feel the passion in her voice as a fan when she's discussing a lot of the fights. So, you know, I'm sad to see Julie Kedzie go, but that's one thing that I applaud with fighters when a, a lot of them, when they know it's time, they definitely hang it up and go about their business. So this weekend, we got another title fight coming up, the UFC More Free MMA. It's UFC on Fox 9. That's going to be out of Sacramento, California, and it will air on Fox at 8 o'clock. The prelims will be on Fox Sports 1. The title fight, of course, Demetrius Johnson taking on Joseph Benavides for the UFC flyweight title. The co-main is going to be Uriah Faber, of course, because it's in Sacramento, taking on Michael McDonald. Matt Brown was supposed to be facing Carlos Condit. Unfortunately, uh, Matt Brown had to withdraw from that fight, so that fight was scrapped. And um, Nick Lentz and Chad Mendes are rounding out that card. I believe they're also moving Matt Danzig versus Joe Lazan to the main card, which is going to be an awesome fight. On the prelims, you got Edson Barboza and Danny Castillo, which is going to be an awesome fight to watch. Scott Jorgensen and, and um, excuse me. Uh, Zach Makovsky and Roger Bowling taking on Abel Trujillo are going to be awesome fights. On the online prelims, Cody McKenzie and, and Sam Stout and Alep Ozkilik taking on Darren Uyenoyama. Those are going to be on the online portion of the prelims. The televised prelims will be on Fox Sports 1. And the main card will air at 8 p.m. on Fox. Daniel Cormier is officially now part of the light heavyweight division, ladies and gentlemen. He will be facing off. With Rashad Evans at UFC 170. Very pumped for that. February 22nd. Uh, the main event, of course, on pay-per-view. And the prelims on Fox Sports 1. Very excited to see Daniel Cormier drop down to 205. I'm curious to see how he looks physically after the weight cut. And um, if, 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 if their wrestling will cancel each other out. And who's going to have the stronger hands. Both guys are tremendous wrestlers. And... Um, Mortis, Mortis summed it up quite nicely. Mortis is on fire tonight. I wish I could give him a gold star. Mortis says that's going to be a good fight or a very boring fight. It's true. Their wrestling is so complete that they can definitely nullify each other. But that stand up is, is serious business. And when it comes to the stand up, I think Rashad Evans has better hands than Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier has, has significant power, but Rashad Evans, he has, he has really good technique, good footwork. Um, very, very crisp boxing. Um, Mortis is saying it could end up being the Mir Daniel Cormier fight. It could to a degree. The only reason is that Mir doesn't push the pace the same way that a Rashad Evans would push the pace. It definitely could go that route, but definitely faster. I felt that the Mir Daniel Cormier fight had a lot of plotting. It was just a lot of, you know, punch, 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 deep breath, punch, 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 deep breath, punch, punch, punch. Somebody hand me a sandwich. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy because that's what that fight felt like. That fight felt like it was going in slow motion. And I said to myself, did I just fucking sit here for 15 minutes? Cause it felt like I sat here for 15 hours. That's the way that fight went down. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, this is a, this is a really, really shitty fight. I thought it was going to be a great fight. See Frank Mir use some Brazilian jujitsu on, you know, Cormier's wrestling. It just didn't happen. They decided we're just going to stand and trade. And it wasn't even standing and trading in a fashion that made you want it to be, um, you know, it didn't, it, it was weird. It didn't make you really feel like that fight needed to be seen. It sucks, but it's the truth. So Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva, of course, will be training and coaching the Ultimate Fighter Brazil season three. 
and their fight is officially going to be held at light heavyweight. I, I was curious to see what weight class they were going to go with. I thought they might have gone with the with the 185 just because Chael was looking to go back to 185 uh, to make another run at that division, especially with Anderson not being champion. But this fight will be contested at light heavyweight, which is going to be very interesting as well because Vanderlei is going to come in a lot, a lot heavier with more power behind him. And I don't know. I mean, Vanderlei is so angry with Chael that it may be his undoing. I know a lot of people, and especially even myself growing up, you know, my, my sensei used to always say, you know, never fight when you're angry. It's always something I, you know, I learned, I was taught that when I was younger. I'm sure Mortis, of course, Mortis, uh, studied mixed martial arts as well. He, he can vouch for that. Never fight or spar when you're angry because you get sloppy. And that's the problem. Vanderlei is so vicious and so violent, but the amount of hatred between these two men is on such astronomical levels that Chael can actually take this fight, which is crazy. I know a lot of you guys are going to be like, oh, you know, Chael doesn't stand a chance because Vanderlei's fucking Vanderlei. Look, I love Vanderlei. Vanderlei is the fucking truth. He is, he is, the, his, his moniker says it all, the axe murderer. This guy goes in there and his fights, he ends them viciously and decisively. But he is also, like I said, extremely emotional, very angry, to the point where he's gone out of his way to confront Chael publicly on a, on a consistent basis. And that amount of hatred is going to make you sloppy, which is also going to make you a prime target for Chael's power double. There's one there. There's a handful of guys whose power double is a problem. And even, you know, Chael, Chael's power double is something that is that is dangerous. I mean, the only guy who nullified Chael's power double, of course, was John Jones, but that's also because John Jones has one of the infinity gems from the infinity gauntlet and he's not fucking human. But seriously, like Chael, Chael can use the power double, take the fight to the ground. And if Vanderlei's not composed, he will lose via ground and pound. Now, if these guys agree to stand and bang, which I doubt because Chael wants to win, Vanderlei stands a better chance of knocking out Chael Sonnen in the clinch using either knees or short elbows. But if it ends up going to the ground, it's the advantage Chael, especially if he not only secures top position, but gets either crucifix or full mount, it is over. Chael's, Chael's wrestling game on the ground is a problem. That's that's it. Mortis says, uh, Vanderlei is also inconsistent. One fight, he'll look awesome. Next fight, he'll look crappy and not do much. This is true, and that's that's kind of what you're dealing with. You're either dealing with, you know, uh, uh, a Vanderlei who's dialed in and he's ready to just come out there and kill people dead, or you're dealing with Vanderlei who is is so so angry that he loses. Like his fight with Kung Lee was really good. I like this fight with Kung Lee. I, I, you know, his fight with Brian Stan was tremendous. It was a tremendous fight. And, um, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like Vanderlei and Brian Stan is what everybody expects his fight with Chael to be, but it's not going to be that Chael. Chael is a smart guy. Chael is a guy who is, is very, he's a student of the fight game. He uses not only his, his physical tools, but he uses his mental tools. And right now, with as angry as he has Vanderlei, he has the advantage going into this fight. People are looking at me like, oh, you know, uh, Rich is over here talking fight science. It's not fight science. It's about 
you know, getting the psychological edge. And Vanderlei, for as insane as he is and as violent as he is, he, he, he is prone to losing focus and losing fights. Like Mortis said, he is not consistent during his last couple of fights. It's up, down, up, down, up, down. And then, you know, it, it was, it was, it's exactly that. Uh, uh, Mortis, once again, a little anecdote. Kung Lee was dominating the fight against Vanderlei until the last minute of the match when Vanderlei finally went Super Saiyan and knocked him out. Pretty much. But you know what it is? That's because, uh, Kung Lee wasn't getting the clean shots in. That's the thing. Vanderlei eats, can eat punishment, but you gotta catch him flush to put him down. Vanderlei, on the other hand, he is so dangerous and he has so many dangers. Uh, put it like this. He can knock you out with elbow standing. He can use the tie clinch. Um, you know, either way, he's, he's securing the KO. Head kick knockouts are always, are always nice. I have never really seen Vanderlei do anything on the ground that I can cite as being, oh shit, you know, his ground game, his ground game is, is amazing. Vanderlei is, is all striking, all killing all the time. Simple as that. That's all he is. But we'll see what happens. I, you guys have no idea the level of excitement I have for the ultimate fighter Brazil because it's not just Vanderlei and Chael and Chael in enemy territory, but it's Chael in Brazil training Brazilians who he's had, who, who he's spoken, whose country he's spoken ill of. And that's what I'm saying. Like there's, there's such a, a, an aura of, of just danger and, and craziness that you have, you don't even know if Chael's going to have to fight his, his, his own team plus Vanderlei because of the level of, of, uh, animosity that's there it's it's going to be an awesome awesome season season hasn't started filming yet though so um you know we're going to see how soon that happens and there's another announcement regarding the ultimate fighter i'm going to talk about that but first i want to talk about the invicta fc card which um once again shannon knapp and invicta is a tremendous tremendous promoter not only was it an awesome card but check this out when there were issues with the iPay-Per-View stream and the pay-per-view stream, she gave the card away for free. That was the craziest thing. It was like, you know, it, it was, um, I start, I started watching it and there were issues with the feed. So I ended up just leaving it alone and going out. Then I found out that the, the whole fight was put online for free and it was, it, it delivered on all fronts uh, on the undercard um the tonya avenger sarah delio fight was really good uh vanessa porto defeated uh zoila frosto unanimous decision juliana bud she also secured a victory via unanimous decision uh one of my favorites felice herrig uh she actually was defeated by tacia torres uh via unanimous decision and that chick uh tessia torres really impressed me bouncing around this this chick is like Speedy Gonzalez on cocaine. Like she was running around this cage and she was everywhere, everywhere. Like, it, like she was peppering Herrig with shots left and right, left and right, left and right, bounce, 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 left and right. It was, it was crazy to watch. Like do yourselves a favor. The card is on YouTube, pull it up and look at this fight. And you're going to be like, what the fuck? Like, like I've never seen somebody move that fast in in a in a you know in a woman's fight it, it just it just didn't even seem natural how fast it went 
And um, Lauren Murphy, she defeated she defeated Miriam Nakamoto via TKO in round four. She now wins the Invicta Bantamweight title. And Barb Honchak defeated Leslie Smith via unanimous decision for the Invicta Flyweight title. Um, it was it was a oh man, it was such an amazing card. Um, I agree, uh, Mortis. Tessia Torres and uh, with Jessica Aguilar would be a uh, it would be a problem. It would definitely be a problem. I'd love to see that type of a fight, but Tessia Torres, she really impressed me, dude. I was, I, I was, I wasn't familiar with her, with her, with her background, and I saw her fight, and I was like, wow. And like I said, I'm, I'm a Felice Herrig mark. Um, Felice Herrig is a, is a great fighter. I like watching her stand up game. She's a, uh, she's a geek, which is cool. She's, uh, very active on social media, uh, and, you know, she has, a, she has a sponsorship with Alienware, so, Always cool stuff going on with her and the other Alienware, uh, Sucker Punch managed fighters. Um, another one of my favorites, of course, Carla Sparza and the one and only Rose Namajunas. And all those ladies are going to be, uh, the subject of something we're going to be talking about later on in the segment. And, um, again, Invicta FC is an awesome card. The organization is fantastic. Shannon Knapp knows how to take care of her fans, knows how to take care of her audience. As soon as that pay-per-view shit went south, she's like, boom. The card is free. I see, uh, Mortis said that he paid the $25 for it in HD on his television. I would, I would, um, try and find out, Mortis, if you can get a credit. Cause they ended up giving the fight away for free. See if, um, maybe you can cite that. Maybe you can show that they gave away the fight for free. And hopefully you can get a credit on your bill. Another fight that has come together for UFC 171, Jake Shields, Hector Lombard going down March 15th in Dallas, Texas. Definitely a fight I am really looking forward to. Of course, Jake Shields comes in, I um, with his, you know, he's got his his great jujitsu background. But Hector Lombard dropping down to welterweight, really looking forward to see how much damage he does. Of course, in his elder his welterweight debut, he killed Nate Marquardt, UFC 166, and um, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing if he if him and Jake Shields can give us an awesome fight. It's one of those fights that to um quote what Mortis said earlier about the um you know Cormier Rashad Evans fight, it could be a really good fight or a really bad fight because you got of course the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu of Jake Shields and the um great wrestling pedigree and knockout power of the one and only Hector Lombard. So we'll see what goes down with that. The end of the year UFC card is complete now. Chris Weidman, of course, Anderson Silva for the middleweight title. Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate for the women's bantamweight title. Josh Barnett, Travis Brown, Fabricio Camos, Jim Miller, Diego Brandao, and Dustin Poirier on the prelims. Uh, the main event on the prelims, Uriah Hall versus Chris Lieben. I'm actually looking forward to that fight. I definitely feel that if Lieben loses this fight, he will get cut. Um, I like Uriah Hall, you know, a local guy, but Chris Lieben's, Chris Lieben's a fucking warrior. That dude's been here, you know, from breaking down the doors in the first season of Tough to, um, dealing with his personal demons. I, I like watching Lieben fight. He goes out there. He leaves it in the cage. Always an exciting fighter to watch. Also fighting Michael Johnson taking on Gleason Tebow. Manny Gambirian is taking on Dennis Seaver. CR the Killer is taking on John Howard on the web prelims. Uh, William Macario is taking on Bobby Volker and Estevan Payan will be taking on Robert Peralta. So definitely a solid fight card to close out 2013. Again, Definitely check it out because it's it's December 28th, 10 p.m. 
is the pay-per-view. Of course, the prelims will be on Fox Sports 1 at 8 o'clock. So this week, finally, and it saddens me to say the um, it's official now that the that Shane Del Rosario has passed away. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks back that he did suffer a stroke, and there was uh, conflicting reports that he, he had died, he hadn't died, but it was he he was hanging on. But now you know it's official. He he did pass away at the age of thirty. He suffered a heart attack on November twenty sixth due to a um a congenital heart disorder, and um. You know, he fought, he fought as hard as he could. And then, you know, like anything else, uh, your thread runs out. So he was 30 years old and, you know, our condolences, of course, to Shane's family. It, it, it was sad for me because it's like, you know, you're, you're 30 years old. You're, you're, it's crazy to say it this way, but you're really just starting to live your life. Like your twenties, you're kind of fucking around and doing dumb shit and wilding out a little bit still and kind of getting the, the wild buzz out of your system. Then, then after 30, things things just they change they evolve they're 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 a little different and um you know this guy this guy was just coming into his the prime of his life and he just like that and it, it's crazy you know you you look at it and and i'll be honest i um you know my you know when my mom passed i was uh i hadn't even turned 20 yet when she passed so from 20 to you know 25 i was kind of not not reckless because too many responsibilities to be reckless, but definitely trying to just enjoy life. I, you know, a lot of crazy things. I ended up, uh, I got into the motorcycle phase. I went and bought a bike and, um, had the bike for a little bit, but a couple of different things happened. Uh, one of, one of the guys that I work with, Matt, he, um, he bought an R1, not an R1. He bought a 1300 CC bike as his first bike. And, um, there's an area here in New York City, Slick knows this area, Sunrise Highway, and Matt, Matt was a very responsible rider. The only thing that I've always, that I always felt was that the bike he had, he was, you know, the bike wasn't leveled short enough to match his stature. Much like me, he's 5'6", but this bike, this was a massive bike, and whenever he was at a light, he was standing on his, on his tippy toes to keep the bike up. But, in this particular instance, um, he was riding down Sunrise Highway and a girl ran across Sunrise Highway. He swerved out of the way to hit her, hit a pothole, flew off his bike. His bike slid all the way down, um, like two lights. And he actually landed on the steel median that divides, um, east and westbound lanes on Sunrise Highway, which was crazy. And it, I, you know, not, luckily, you know, he, he survived, but it was crazy because, you know, he bought this airbrush helmet. And he spent like $3,000 on it, had it airbrushed in Hawaii. It was beautiful. And, um, the helmet was practically destroyed, saved his life. Uh, they had to cut him out of his jeans because his, his hip bone was like super swollen. It was insane. All because, you know, that was kind of a wake up call. And then, um, somebody else that I knew, their first bike was an R1. And an R1 is a, uh, very, very powerful bike. And, uh, that, that, that individual was learning with an instructor, lost control of the bike, hit a tree, dead. So it's just a bit of a wake up call. But like I said, when you're that age, you're, you're a little reckless. You're, you you have a little bit more fun, so to speak. You feel a little bit more invincible. Then you turn 30 and everything turns to shit. <laughs> it does, not that it turns to shit, but you know, you start having a, it, you know, you have to start kind of rem thinking of, of crazy things that you got to deal with. Like it was funny, you know, you go to a doctor and he, um, he said, 
when I right before I turned 30, I went to the doctor and the guy was like, yeah, you know, after you turn 30, they got to start doing prostate exams. And I was like, yeah, no. How about no? Yeah, but, you know, you got to check because after you're 30, the 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 risk of prostate cancer increases. So, you know, you got to get that checked out. Like, get the fuck out of here. But that's that's the kind of stuff you got to look forward to when you're when you're going to turn 30. Uh, Just just crazy little things like that. So be aware if you haven't turned 30 yet and you start getting a physical when you turn 30, they're going to bring that up. So get ready. Um, Needless to say, no. I didn't, I didn't get a, I didn't get any prostate exam before somebody asks. No, did not happen. On the contrary, actually, that was probably the last physical before I got married. When I got married, I went to a doctor, a guy drew some blood, didn't even ask because I just needed to get the physical done. Dude was like, all right, get the hell out of here. Gave me my results and sent me on my way. Anyway, moving on. The always controversial fighters only MMA awards will be going down February 7th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Of course, there'll be 20 different categories, including fight of the year, knockout of the year, submission of the year, fighter of the year, the usual stuff. And the beauty of award ceremonies like this is that very controversial. Something always goes down. People get bent out of shape about the winners, the losers, blah, 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 blah. So it's going down February 7th. Of course, once I get the categories, I will be sharing that information with you. So. As I mentioned earlier, the ladies of Invicta put on an, a tremendous card. And um, one of the things that the UFC had been talking about was creating another women's division. Now, we already know that we have the, the current women's division with Ronda Rousey as champion, Misha Tate, all the usual suspects. But Dana, who, remember, said women will never fight in the UFC, has announced that he is starting a brand new 115 pound strawweight division in the UFC. With that said, Dana White acquired 11 female fighters from Invicta to round out the division. Now, the crazy thing is that these 11 women will be in the next season of the Ultimate Fighter, which is Tough 20 in May 2014. You have 11 women in a house, training and fighting, and the winner will become the strawweight champion, the 115-pound UFC strawweight champion. So the stakes are infinitely higher. Not only do you have women living in the house already, these um these women definitely, they, I don't want to say they dislike each other, but a lot of them have pre-existing beef. And the funny thing is that they... They're all going to have to live together, train together, and fight together with one of them possibly costing the other an opportunity at being champion. Now, that's some crazy shit. Now, Slick just told me that we have a caller on hold, which I'm assuming is Jonathan, and I'll bring him on momentarily. But before I close it out and get into the interview, I did want to talk about the fighters that will be joining the Ultimate Fighter Season 20. Of course. Carla Esparza, uh, champion in Invicta FC, also a friend of Felice Herrig, uh, the cookie monster, heading to the UFC. Claudia Gadeja was supposed to fight Carla Esparza, had to withdraw from her fight because of illness. She will also be joining the Ultimate Fighter, and those women have beef. It actually kind of escalated on Twitter. Uh, the last couple of days, they will be fighting. Next up, Felice Herrig 
joining also the cast. I'm a big Felice Herrick fan, also friends with Carla, Carla Sparza. She also got involved with the beef with Claudia Gadeja. So it's going to be very interesting to see those three women living in a house together for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Joanne Calderwood, Tessia Torres, who defeated Felice Herrick, will be joining the ultimate fighter. Rose Namajunas, of course, favorite of mine, uh, girlfriend of Pat Barry, uh, Beck Hyatt, Emily Kagan, Alex Chambers, Juliana Lima, and Paige Van Zant. So there you have it, ladies and gents. That are, those are the 11 female fighters coming out of Invicta heading over to the UFC to compete to be their champion and round out their straw weight division. That season, uh, May 2014, like I said, tough 20. It will be the first ever all women's edition of the series. It will also be the first time that the show will crown a champion. So there you have it. It's going to be tremendous. No coaches as of yet. And there are still five additional fighters that will be selected for the season via tryout scheduled in 2014. Very pumped. They join, of course, the women's 135 pound division. And I am super, super excited at the prospects of just amazing fights. So there you have it, guys. The UFC debuts their strawweight division with 11 fighters from Invicta. It's going to be an awesome fucking season. I tell you that right now. All right. So I just got word that uh, Jonathan is on the line. So I am going to cue him up and bring him in. And we're going to talk about the Apex series. We're going to talk some gaming and who knows what else will come across uh, this conversation. But this was a long time coming. And let me bring him on board. Slick just told me that he is queued up. Hey, Jonathan, what's up? Hey, how's it going today? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad we finally got everything scheduled and, and squared away. Same here. I I love the show. I was watching it for a few minutes, man. I'm a, You know, it's weird because I'm actually a huge uh, wrestling fan, but I also really like uh, MMA, but I don't watch it as much. Ah, I gotcha. Um, but, you know, hearing you talk, you actually got me interested in watching MMA again. You know, I haven't watched it since, well, this sounds really like old school, but like Ken Shamrock and Rampage and all of them were there because oh, that's were, when I got it. Those were the good old days, man. That's when, that's when, you know, guys, guys with, with beards out of bars and with sneakers on would come and fight in a cage. There was no weight limits. There was no divisions. People just went in, beat the hell out of each other and we enjoyed it. Oh man, trust me. Once I, I love talking like this stuff. I used to be. When I grew up, because I'm I'm Puerto Rican, so I, and I'm from the Bronx, there's two things you did in the Bronx on a Saturday or Sunday night. One, you'd watch wrestling. Yep. Two, you watch a fight. Yep. So you know, I remember my mother every five seconds, and you know, you know the type. I want to watch every five seconds, and you know, it was really good. Like it reminded me how like crazy used to be back then yep and i was the only one rooting for trinidad back in the day because he was puerto rican but don't feel bad so <laughs> nowadays <did> I. <laughs> man like so did i yeah it it, it, it just becomes ingrained it makes you feel old though like because you remember like de la Hoya, you know he hasn't fought in a long time and I, to be honest he left he left in pretty good condition so i don't blame him for leaving nope but you know nowadays it's like you can't there's no, like, boxing-wise, there's no real match to fight. And then MMA is, you know, I just haven't, it's, you know, it's just not for me. I've seen it. It's good, but I, I can't get into it because I'd rather watch wrestling because it, 
well, I, I actually stopped watching wrestling. I, I actually protested it since like a month ago. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? But, then, um, I, then I'm definitely going to want to discuss that with you. So we're, that, that's definitely going to be something we can discuss at length. Oh, yeah. I have, I have real strong views about the WWE and I, I refuse to watch TNA. That's just, anyway, <laughs> I'll get into that. All right. So of course TNA's you, the, yeah, well, we're definitely going to talk some TNA. Um, of course, you know, you are, you are the, the, the president and creator of the Apex Tournament series and, um, a lot of stuff going on. Of course, you've been dealing with, uh, some, some internet issues the, the last couple of weeks, which I'm sure have pretty, have had you pretty upset. So, um, first off for, oh, yeah. for our listeners, let, let them know what the Apex Tournament series is about and tell us a little bit about how it came to be. Sure. Well, the Apex Tournament series is, a video game convention uh, slash event that's held in Somerset, New Jersey this year on MLK Weekend, which is the 17th through the 19th. Uh, it features, uh, it's really known for the Super Smash Brothers series. We're the largest Super Smash Brothers su- uh, event in the world. Uh, we do every Smash game that has been created, which includes uh, Smash 64, uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee, that's the GameCube, Super Smash Brothers Brawl, that is the the Wii, and a modded game that's really popular called uh, Project M, which is a modded version of uh, Brawl. So we have all four of those games, as well as uh, traditional fighting games, which are Street Fighter, Marvel vs. Capcom, Tekken Tag 2, King of Fighters, and Injustice. And along with all of that, you know, you know, you have the, like, the hardcore gamers, you know, they get to play, they have fun, they have a good time. They also have uh, convention aspects. We have an artist alley. So if you just want to buy some little trinkets, you can. Um, there's also like indie game booths. So the people want to try out the newest game by a creator, you know, something a la, you know, my- Minecraft or, you know, any like one of those Steam, Steam indie games. We have those there. Uh, we're going to have uh, a casual game room. So if you just want to play some old school games, you can just go right in there and play. We're going to have a DR machine so people can just dance their heart away. And it's just three days of fun and good time, uh, topped off uh, by uh, one of the biggest and most competitive t- uh, tournaments in the world. Awesome. So what what inspired you to start this event? Because this event has been going on for quite some time. I mean, when when you approached me to discuss it and I looked up some of the stuff, you you've been very, very vocal and very, very, uh, you know, hardworking getting it out there. You know, I see the, the tweets out there, the, your Facebook fan page, super active. I put the, the, um, the URL in the chat room. If you guys are interested in checking it out, make sure to facebook.com apex.series and become a fan and keep up with all of that. But what, what, what motivated you to create this event? Um, it all started it, the best way to say it's to quote Spider-Man. It all started with a girl. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, I have a girl. I have a girlfriend of many years, almost eight years. And she, I, I, you know, I hosted smaller events and I enjoyed it. And I decided to try this. And it, it just started as a, as a project just to see if we could do it. And the first year we had 200 people and we said, okay. What can we do next? What can we do to break break new ground? So I said, when's the last time a Japanese match? Because it was Smash only like years ago, years, years ago. I said, let's get some Japanese players. 
everybody looked at me like I was insane. They're like, there's no way. There's no way to contact them. They haven't been here since 2006. And, and that was only one person. So, but I managed to get in touch with them, and now they come every year. And, you know, the whole idea is that I want to bring something that people can not only, like the, the hardcore gamers can play, or rather the, uh, the more dedicated for tournament play, but also for the casual. So, it, it, you know, we expanded it and created this event that everybody just sits there and hang, hangs out. And what I love about it, what makes Apex unique than, you know, all these other, like, tournaments that you hear about for fighting games, is that when you go to that event, when you go to Apex, you don't have to be, you know, a Marvel player. You don't have to be a Smash player. You can just love video games, and you will find something for yourself there. That's awesome. And, you know, that's what this is really all about. You know, I'm 29 years old, and I'm seeing people at least five five or six years older than me acting like children, and not in a good <laughs> way. And and they're, they're getting all mad. They're getting upset. And I say to them, why are you upset? Well, because this game sucks, and people play that game. Why don't they play my game? And I say, why does it matter? They have fun. That's like, it. That's the whole per- – like, that's the whole purpose of life. Like, you know, you just got to, you know, I've been using this word because I just watched this show, but a la Z, like, you know, let's go. Let's have fun, you know. Like, let's let's go out there and have adventures. You know, let's travel. These kids come from all over the world just to play. And at the end of the day, they'll do something like uh, a couple of years ago, because, and I don't know if they did it last year because I was too busy running around like a maniac. But, you know, I know years, in years past, and even probably this past year, um, you know, they would trade instead, you know, they can't contact each other over internet because of, you know, time zones, but they'll trade like, um, what are they called? They'll trade their, their name tags. They'll trade like, you know, their badges, you know, as a shine of uh, respect. Like this one guy who won a couple of years back, when he won, um, one of the players from Japan gave him his controller. Nice. And to give you the significance of that, that's like, you know, GameCube controllers are not only very rare, a, a lot of them are very broken in. So if you have a GameCube controller and you break it in, that's your controller. That's so right. for him to give up his controller, which, and, and let me tell you about this controller. It's a, it was a limited edition, uh, Nintendo Club Mario controller. So it wasn't just like a silver, black, or orange controller that you see of the gotcha. white ones now. This was a, a very, like, very rare controller. So, you know, you see stuff like that and the amount of respect is, is there. And when you watch these kids and you see the love and like the fun in their hearts, that's what makes it special. And that's what makes me, my event, Apex, different from every other event. We focus, yes, we focus on the competitive side, but at the end of the day, we love games. We love video games. We love fighting games. We have RPGs. We love, you know, Smash Brothers, we love, um, I don't know, Halo. We love all video games, and we just want to play with people and have fun. You know, it's funny. One of one of the guys in the the chat asked if you were gonna have um, any WWE games, any wrestling games to play. Let me tell you something. Uh oh. If you're gonna if if we're gonna play a wrestling game, there's only one wrestling game in existence I will touch. No it's mercy. N64, and yes, it's. No mercy, yes. And everybody knows it. Like, do you say, what's the best wrestling game? No mercy. But, um, 
I mean, if if a part of the casual room, it it is BYOC. We do have a group called Street Pass, who is setting it up. They actually work with Nintendo on the, some events, so you know they're putting together a lot of like contests, like speedrunning contests and various contests all over. But um, it's just a. Uh, you know, if you want to bring, we won't have tournaments. I can't say officially, but I can tell you that I, you know, if it's there, I will not leave that room <laughs> until until I do at least three 3Ds with a friend of mine. And you know, that's just one of those things that you know, as a wrestling fan, I you can't get me started in wrestling. So let's keep on going. <laughs> well, until we're well, you know, you know what was funny with that? It's it, you you you'd look at those games and it, and it's funny because um uh Jay Santi brought up uh, Fire Pro and I didn't know about Fire Pro till I picked up a Dreamcast and I went I got a Japanese version of Fire Pro then I went online and downloaded the save to make all the names in English and it was it was probably one of the most complex but emo- but awesome wrestling games only because. Like No Mercy's awesome. Don't get me wrong. That's the that's the gold standard. But Fire Pro was a game that actually had to make you use psychology. You had to make sure your your wrestler didn't get tired. You had to pace it accordingly. They had the um the barbed wire death match with the fluorescent light poles. Oh, it was you mean it was great, dude. You mean the one like they? You mean the one in the YouTube video where they just suplexed it and the entire like thing just exploded? Yep. Like that, that death yep. match. Yeah, that that's the, that that was in Fire Pro. That match is insane. Yeah, that was in Fire Pro on, the, not... on the Dreamcast. Let me tell you, um, I haven't played it, but the reason I, you know, I remember, and I'll tell you this story. Uh, one of my favorite wrestlers was, you know, because I bought all the SmackDown games because, you know, I got a PS2 and every all of my friends had PS2s at the time. So we had to get the SmackDown games, but we had no mercy. But, uh, you know, that was when Jeff Hardy left for a bit. And I was really, I used to be a, a Jeff Hardy fan. I actually hate him now, but I'll get into that later. But, um, and it's not the reason people think. It's actually a really, like, really well thought out reason. Um, but, you know, I was really sad because I was like, okay, now I can't play with Jeff Hardy, you know. But we all made our own characters, but, you know, they, they might take the moveset away. Right. But I found out the moveset was still there. They just removed the character. So I was just like, I, every character I made in wrestling until I stopped buying them because they just became expensive always had a swanton bomb. Yeah. And that specific swanton bomb. And, and, you know, I like, I want to hear more about Fire Pro. If it does have like wrestling psychology, I really will be into it. But, you know, in terms of like, ugh. See, you bring it back memories, man. See, you can't bring back memories of a wrestling fan. No, you you know what the you know what the thing is when when you look at those games and and what you were saying you know when we were when you were telling us about Apex when with, with games constantly evolving the the tournament atmosphere is becoming so so diverse now because think about it I one of the things that we do is, is me personally I go look on um there's a site which is called meetup which allows you to organize different meetups for different interests usually we do right i know that's right yeah but usually i'll you know we do like uh podcaster ones or or vid vidcaster ones but it's funny that it's things have evolved so far to where 
Like there's one which is like a Pokemon battle and drink meetup that they do in the city where people just go to hang out, play Pokemon, have some Pokemon drinks. Pokemon DNYC, right? Yep, I think that's it. And and yeah, it's just my friend runs that. There you go, and you you see how crazy it is that that's how <laughs> that, how how far gaming has come. That you know you can actually just go into a bar with with your DS and you won't look weird. Cause you know you you know you got a guy going in there. Yo, let me get a shot of Hennessy, and he pulls out his 3ds to have a lengthy Pokemon battle with with somebody else in a bar. It's like that's how far it, it's how far shit has come. I know one of the guys in there is like, yo, Pokemon, come on! I kid you not. This um the the one of the meetups I saw, I think it had like 200 200 people that were attending, and it was and the pictures that I saw were crazy. Like dudes is there drinking and. I saw some money on some tables with a couple of matches going on. It's it's crazy how that's how the how the how the gaming community has evolved to where there's all these smaller tournaments being done. Like, you know, I, I was gonna ask what with the creation of Killer Instinct on Xbox Live, and you know, I was curious to see what you, how you felt about that now possibly making its way into the tournament circuit, especially with the whole you know buy a character. Killer Instinct's already there. Killer Instinct's already, it's actually a side event at Apex. And it's only a side event because we didn't know if the game was going to be popular. It it could have been, you know, DOA 4 on Xbox 360 launch when nobody played it. Or it could be like it is now, which is very popular. Um, But, you know, it's the way they do DLC. And you can't, the, the thing, the interesting thing about Killer Instinct, it's not DLC. You're just buying the game. When you buy the game, you get all the characters. Um, the way it works, it's probably going to work is based on the, the release date of the character, the right. character may be banned. And that's ah. only because people will not have enough time. People will not have enough time at that point to, to learn it or learn if there's any tricks to it. But then after that, you know, every tournament after we'd have it, it depends on. So let's just say Apex, the day before Apex, like five new characters get released for Killer Instinct, you know? They could be used for casual play, but they wouldn't be allowed in tournament play. Um, gotcha. And but but let's say it was like two months, a month before an L five, they would be legal. And that's only because you know catching up and all that stuff. And that's something we call the meta game, which is the, the development of the game out like um, outside of its normal parameters, like the ideas and the concepts and you know what things you know go on in those games, like. It's not just like I press a button and you, you, you lose. There's, there's strategy. There's, oh, yeah. um, in fighting games, there's something called, it's footsies, which, you know, is like in boxing or any type of fighting, you know, it's how you position yourself to get that hit. Um, there's punishes, there's counter punches, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's, you know, in Pokemon also, you know, just a random aside. It, it has a lot of like, okay, this move and this item, you know, this is the best strategy. Like, there's always something like that. Uh, but, you know, I think Killer Instinct is going to do really fine. I think it's, you know, it's going to be, like I said, uh, the one thing I am curious about, and that's only because of the fact that it's so expensive to purchase one, is uh, biting a fi- Most people in the that community use arcade sticks. Right. We use, we use arcade sticks. We don't use that. But the, the arcade sticks are so expensive, nobody's buying them. Yeah, the Mad and Cats. And rightfully so. I, I would. No, I was going to say the, the Mad, Mad Cats, Cats is, is too expensive. Yep, I saw it at a Consumer Electronics Week because Mad Cats was presenting, 
and we took some pictures of it and the guy was like, yeah, this is what the killer instinct stick is going to look like. And it was, it was really well done. It was definitely a premium device. And I was like, oh, you know, wh- where do you think it's going to be? And the dude was like, ah, maybe, maybe 200 or so. It depends, you know, what, what happens closer to, to release. And I'm like, I'm like, damn, you know, that the, the, the beauty of, of the, I tournament- buy at the <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it is? The, the crazy no, like- thing with tournament sticks is that they're, they've become a subculture of their own. You know, people buy and mod and, and getting all the parts out there. And it's just like, dude, you guys are coming out of the gate with with a pro level controller and you guys want to pretty much half the price of the Xbox One for for a joystick, you know? I I agree. And here here's the thing that I find like here's the thing. Um people found ways around it by just simply modding their their existing sticks to play on and an Xbox One. There's ways to do that. If you go to for example the main fighting game site is shuriken.com, they have people that offer to do it for a price. And, and the thing that you know they'll charge like 150 to do it, right? And maybe like an extra 25, or they'll charge the same amount to buy a stick. And the reason people will pay that over buying a new stick is because they're already comfortable with their stick. Right. And modding has been done for so many years that it's, especially with sticks, that it's just like okay, whatever. And you can get these sticks customized; they can look nice, like. If I could, I would show you. Um, well, actually, if you go to PlayAsia.com right now, yeah, there, I see we the have custom our own one. custom stick that we. Yep. Oh, you already saw it? Yeah, I'm looking at it on the fan page. I was yeah. actually going to put the link on the site, on the uh, on the chat yeah, room. It's really nice. That was made by uh, our sponsor, PlayAsia. It's such a nice stick. I love that stick. Um, and that's Quamba, and they're still they're really good quality also. But they, you know, they they focus more on. They're they're a Chinese company and they focus more on making multiple console sticks. But I'm sorry, I'm still looking at how pretty it is. But uh, <laughs> you know that's what that's what people are doing. Like, and you know what? It's smart economics. Why am I going to spend X amount of money when I can spend X amount of money and do something just the same? And I keep my stick. I don't have to have like five or six sticks carrying a tournament. Yeah, that's you know? a, that's the whole thing too. I mean, it's it's easier to just get it multi mod and. I'm actually glad to hear that that you guys are are going to give Killer Instinct a chance because it's it's funny that when you look at that game and the mechanics with how they wanted to do the you know the the quote unquote pay per character dynamic I said to myself what are you going to what is what's going to happen every guy that can't afford to buy all the characters is going to have Jago you're going to have a thousand Jago fights you know <laughs> so it was it was crazy the way well, the dynamic the t- went down Well the way the tournaments worked is that we already have for the most part, like for major events, we have all the equipment there. Right. So if they don't have their own personal stuff, that's kind of on them. It's not on us. We provide a equal standing. Now, that being said, you can just buy the game and it has, you know, unlock everybody as they come along. Right. And what I like about, what I like about the model, and I, I think this is a way to look at it, is you got to look at it like a, a fighting game version of League of Legends where Every, they, every, you get Jago, that's the character, when you, if you have the free version, you get, I believe you get Jago, and every, and one other person, and every, like, week or month or something like that, that character changes to somebody else. Right. So you can essentially just play the game for free, and use Jago, and just play other characters, and if you like it, you can spend another, like, $40, $50, or whatever price of the actual game is, and get the entire cast, and it will be a season pass. And once you get all the characters, that's it, you're good. Um, I also like 
the reason I like that they released it with just those six six or seven characters is because they focused more on the gameplay rather than rushing it. They knew they were going to get rushed. They knew that going yep. in. So they just tried to make the best characters they could, make the game look nice, even though it's very bare bones. And they're going to start releasing the content. And the content, obviously, you have to pay for it, but that just means you're just buying the game. So you could be smart. If you have an Xbox One, just play it for free for a while. And then once story mode comes in, because, you know, some people actually do play for story. Yep. You I know, did. they buy the story mode. And then when you, and when you buy the story mode, you know what happens? You bought the game. <laughs> and you don't much. have to worry about paying for characters. Well, yeah, you know, it's not like uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken where it's it's the most ridiculous DLC scheme I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, but um, where every little thing is costs you money, and actually somebody told me it's like two hundred dollars if you buy everything. Well, you know, you know what's funny. I um, it's funny you mentioned that when I a uh, couple of weeks back, Newegg put out. Do you remember the very large Street Fighter box set that they did? That came with uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken, all the DLC, uh, you know, all Super Street Fighter Four, Super Street Fighter Four Arcade Edition soundtracks, all that stuff. So, Newegg actually yeah, had the arcade, that. the arcade edition. Yeah, but but it was a huge box set. You know, it had a Kuma symbol on the box, and um, oh no, bo- it's called the Street Fighter 25th Anniversary yep. Collection. They that's why somebody yeah sorry Newegg Newegg put it on sale for sixty dollars. So I actually, yeah, <laughs> I actually, I yeah, I bought, I bought that. And then, you know, I sold all my, my single copies of the games, you know, cause I, I, I buy all the, the Street Fighter games, all the Capcom, all the fighting games in general. I try to buy them all. Even if it's like, oh, this one's going to come out with the DLC. I'll complain about it on air. And then, <laughs> then I'll fucking buy the shit. Cause, cause, you know, I'm, I'm a fucking sheep, but, um, you know, they put it for 60 bucks and I was like, wow, this is a great deal. So I got Street Fighter Cross Tekken with all the DLC, um, you know, Street Fighter 4, the statue and all that stuff. And I paid 60 bucks. This set usually goes between 149 to, to $200. I was like, holy cow. You know, like it was, it was a one-off thing and I, and I spent the money and I'm glad I did because like you said, when you spend the money on all that DLC, you're going to get nickel and dimed for, for, especially in Capcom's case, because they've done so much double dipping with their games that people just get, you know, people get all pissed off with with good reason because the no, there's no better example than Marvel versus Capcom three. It's like think about how many times they double dipped that game, you know, to release the other characters. And I and I actually mentioned this a couple of months back on air. I said if if Marvel has movies coming out, every character that's gonna be in a movie is gonna be in this game. And that's exactly how it play how it I panned agree. out. Because Rocket Raccoon's in this game. Nobody knew who the fuck Rocket Raccoon was until they announced Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, uh, yeah, unless you were a really comic fan, right. you wouldn't know Rocket Raccoon. I didn't know Rocket Raccoon. But yep. then again, I'm not really a Marvel fan. I'm actually a huge DC fan. The The interesting thing about the, all the characters from Marvel, there's one or two of them that actually aren't in a movie but are being hinted at, Yep. Um, which is uh, Nova. Yep. Nova is, uh, the Nova Corps is actually going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's not right. Nova. Um, I, I, I don't know how they're going to, I don't think they're going to put the Nova everybody wants, which is Richard Ryder. Yep. And there's various reasons why I personally believe Richard Ryder will not be in a film. Probably not. And that's because if you shorten his name, it's because if you shorten his yep. name, he's that's Dick it. Ryder. We're done. <laughs> you know, we're all done. PG is gone. Well, you know there's what's no funny? Um, the, the thing that got me with that was that 
pretty much. And, and, and as I mentioned it more and more on air, more and more people saw it. It was like, you do realize that pretty much this game was a blatant commercial for every character that's going to pop up in the films or is getting a film, you know, Dr. Strange getting a film, Nova Corps, you know, are in guardians of the galaxy. Ghost Rider had that second movie coming out when it happened. So it, it, it just, <laughs> that's terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what's funny, terrible as it was, it was, a, it was a way to get the character out there. And that's what people lost sight of. Like people were like, Hey man, you know, why didn't they put, venom in there and it's like yeah of course you'd want venom in there but it only spider a lot of characters that should have been there right and that's to that. be very to be very honest Did and you? that's what marvel's capcom one was it was just yep. that's what most of these like crossover games are they're just marketing tools if they happen to be good then that's great one of the things that um i noticed with uh, marvel's capcom just like the series in general was um in the beginning the Marvel characters were more based on the cartoons that came out. Now they're more based on the movies. That's right. Like, not in design, but just, like, the voices and everything. The one thing that I, I really was sad about, and this is more of a personal thing, was um, just the lack of Cyclops. Like, in the last, like, I guess, decade, unless you read the comics, like, where Cyclops is the baddest ass, badass motherfucker that, that exists, you know, he's he's not in any movie. He should have been in X-Men Origins, but he wasn't. His brother was. He should be in um, this coming movie. He's not. He's not going to probably be in the new one they just announced, X-Men Age of Apocalypse. And and he's the leader of the X-Men. Well, you know, <laughs> you know no, what's we're funny? Hugh Jackman. Oh, well, they, it, you got to look at this. And, and you know, we're, we're kind of entering a little off topic, but I will say this. You have to look at it from the standpoint of, and there was actually an article about this, about why Wolverine is being used in days of the future past and everybody's like you tell somebody hey who kitty pride is going to be sent back in time and the first answer you're going to get is who you know because the, exactly from a mainstream you, you could say ellen page and people will be like "Ooh, but, yeah but know. but but it's not it's not mainstream enough to where people are going to be like oh you know so she's going to go back and stop it now you mentioned wolverine you know that you know wolverine whooping ass in the present and then going into the past and interacting with that younger cast is going to lead to some really great on-screen moment so it gets people excited like like i think oh they will you know the 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 mm -hmm. interactions with fast bender and and um you know mcavoy in in the, in the past are going to be fantastic oh i love i love x-men um first class i actually love that film i think it's the best x-men film because um it doesn't have wolverine <laughs> that's why <laughs> i like it but you know i understand you know i have to be realistic Wolverine's one of the most popular characters in Marvel. Of yep. course, he's going to be the main focus, and, I, and I'm okay with that. I say I say to people straight out, like, look, you know what? Hugh Jackman's a good actor. I love the guy. You know, if I don't like the movie, I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to be one of those people that complain and complain and complain and still go see the film. Yep. Um, and a lot of people will will still go and complain after, and I say, well, I don't <laughs> want to go. Why am I going to bother? Like, I didn't go see Man of Steel. I refused to. I thought when I, I didn't pay for it. Oh, I didn't want to. Like, I felt, I, you know, of course I read the script and I did see it eventually. My friend lent it to me and I, and I hated it, but I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to support something I don't like. Uh, and I think a lot of people need to start doing that. Well, I and, got... and on the flip side, if you like, if you like a film, you should support it. One of my favorite films actually was Speed Racer. I thought it was a fantastic adaptation of the anime. I thought it was one of the best films I've ever seen. What speed, visuals, ra speed story, racer? It was it was a, 
Speed Racer with Emil Hirsch? Yeah, but- that Speed Racer? Oh my god. Yeah. If you- <laughs> here's here's why. And here's why people look they they got a re- if you watch the show and you watch that movie, it's exactly the same type of like same thing. The only thing that's different is the driving and the driving is amazing. Like yes, it is a green screen the entire film, but that's I expected that. But um the movie yeah, the movie does make you dizzy, but <laughs> I think like visually it was great. I like the idea, and it and it and it kept true to what it was. The problem with it was is that uh, for whatever reason nobody wanted to see it. And I asked my friend, "Why didn't you want to see it?" He didn't say, "Oh no, because it looked bad." No, it was because I hate the Matrix films. See, that wasn't that's a lot of people. That's well, that wasn't me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened. Um, I watch I watched Speed Racer growing up. And, um, when I heard it was going to be made into a film, I was like, oh, oh. this is going to be awesome. When I saw it was Emil Hirsch playing Speed Racer, I'm like, oh, this fucking guy. And that's what killed it for me. Cause dude, he fucking sucked. Like the movie was, was good oh, no, visually. He was, he was the fucking dude. I've seen, I've seen tumors with better acting ability. Fucking terrible. Like the, the, the effects were good. Okay. You know, I'm the just going to say, Hayden Christensen. That's all I need to say. Yeah, Hayden Christensen. But, uh, Hayden Christensen has been shitting everything he's done, dude. Like, if you watch, if if you did like I did, and you watched that visual abortion, which was Jumper. Jumper was dog shit too. Everybody's like, oh, this movie's gonna be the future, and then you just see Anakin Skywalker hopping around from room to room with the chick from the OC. I'm like, yo, this movie is shit. <laughs> but I, I, I actually you- did like his acting. Um, <laughs> I, uh, Taylor Hurst. Emil Hirsch. I, I, I did like it. And <laughs> and here's the thing. Um, the only thing I will say is that Speed Racer, if you watch the show, he's an asshole. Yep. He's a giant asshole. Yep, he is. You remember this is one episode, and I think you know what I'm gonna talk about, where he where the the woman was like no the the guy was like, Listen, my sister is dying. I need the money, let me win. He's like, No, I won't and he just goes on his whole tangent yep, how he I've wants seen to that. win. And I'm like, dude, how's this like are you serious? He just told a guy that his his sister can go die. Well, you know what the thing you is. You care more about. No, no I mean, the, sty, stylistically, Speed Racer stylistically was a very like if you watch that movie on like a 4K TV now, you you'd probably have a seizure and your eyes would probably catch on fire and fall out of their heads because it's so bright and so visually appealing that you know you're like, oh shit, this movie's bananas. The problem is that. That, that, that wasn't a movie that anybody expected would fare well at the box office. Like, because it's a property, like, I know Speed Racer, you know it, but like the demographic they were trying to pitch it to, oh, nobody, had a, nobody yeah. had a fucking idea. They didn't even put out like a cartoon to and like prep I- people. It was just like, here, here's this movie about no, this they anime. Put a cartoon out. They did? No, there is a cartoon. It was, uh, Speed Racer. Yeah, Speed Racer X. It was, uh, it was, but it was a very limited audience. The show, the movie that was based on an anime that did really well was actually Astro Boy. But that was because it was an animated film, which is a lot different. And also, Osama Tetsuka is a god among men. Um, but you know, you know, you have all these films that are being brought out and, and you see them and you're wondering, okay, every film now is, what is it based on? That's immediate. You don't say, oh, it's an interesting concept. Oh, what's this based on? Like, if you, if I walk in, I know nothing about on uh, comics, and somebody says, oh, The Walking Dead, right? Yep. And I go watch this show, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. 
and you hear you have one person who says, "Oh, the comic's better," and I'm like, "Why?" And they're the comic. The comic's actually better because uh, the comic's crazy. But you know, you have these other, and I think it only happens a lot more in anime, with and and cartoons that the uh, the adaptation's better than the original. And actually, no, actually in film, there was one film that was better than the comic, and that was Kick-Ass 1. Kick-Ass 1 Kick was, Ass one was a great film. Kick-Ass 1 was a great film. Kick-Ass Kick Ass 2, 2 was a blatant cash grab. No, Kick-Ass 2 was um, what happened when, and you could tell, when you listen to the interviews, you'll notice none of them thought this had a chance in hell. Nope. No, none of the actors believed that there was a chance in hell. On top of that, you had Chloe Mortz. Her her family was like, no, she ain't cursing in this one. She's not doing all this. Which, you know, I respect the family for doing that. And and you know what? But she Chloe's a great actress, and, you know, she she has her beliefs, and I respect that. And I said, you know, this. I saw the film, and I was like, oh, it's okay, but the problem with it is that it, it has a – it's a typical superhero film. It really is. What made Kick-Ass funny was how retardedly – opposite of what typical films are but um you know but kick-ass one was a different ending and a few things but i i enjoyed it and the sequel was very disappointing and it was also very creepy when you and you know what i'm talking about with the creepy yeah there was a lot of creepy moments in there but you know it's um things they did the things they did the hit girl were just straight up like what the fuck were they on when they did this like You know. I'm talking about I'm talking about the scene where she's watching One Direction. I'm talking about the end when he kisses she kisses him. It's just like, ugh. yeah, it <laughs> was like, it was definitely you're like wow. No, it was definitely weird. But um, we're we're gonna end up getting sidetracked. So I'm like watching the shading. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I wanted uh I wanted to to jump back because I had a um you know we 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 got to talk about Apex a little bit more. Uh, one thing I I did want to ask. With regards to the um, the tournament series, do you guys are doing it uh, those three days? Are are you pretty much taking over the entire facility where you're doing it, or are you guys going to get a portion of the facility and then just kind of break it up for each section, like you were mentioning earlier? Um, pretty much, it's it's just like a convention. You have the giant ballroom, and then you have little small areas. The little small areas are for side events. Uh, for game like the casual game room, indie games, artist alley, but the main ballroom will have uh, the main games, which are the all the fighting games I mentioned, uh, Pokemon. Uh, oh, I forgot that Pokemon, the video game and the card game are going to be there as tournaments, and Smash will be there. Uh, so all three days, um, from basically nine to two a.m., you're just going to be playing games. And I believe the the place is open twenty four seven, but we stopped doing stuff at two, okay, because we need to sleep. <laughs> there you go. Um, are you are you guys doing uh cash tournaments also? Because I know some people they they like to they like to play when they they get a little more get more juiced up when cash is on the line. So figured I'd ask. Oh no! All these tournaments are cash. All these tournaments are for money. Nice. Is there every one... single tour- like we get? Go ahead. Every single one of them is for money, and all of them have additional, we call them pot bonuses or prize bonuses, where there's, like, we have from sponsors that add money to the pot. We have over close to uh, $6,000 in prize bonuses that get distributed among the various games. Uh, we nice. also have uh, all the people to enter. I can tell you the winner of last year made over $4,000. Wow. 
What game? What game was it that he made the 4K on? Well, there's two people that made 4K. That was Brawl and Melee. So it's Smash Brothers. And then uh, Marvel made like three or something like that. Very I cool. have to check these back amounts. Now, one one of the things. And also, that... we pay out. Just... I was gonna say we actually pay out the top eight usually. So, oh, you do. Like pay for out the main the games, eight. they all get paid out the top eight. Nice. Yeah. So it's not one person. If it's one person, that person would have took 10k easily. That's insane. But, yeah. Now one of the, one of the things you you got play you got PlayAsia advertising uh you got a couple of companies involved how did you work out these relationships with their companies It's a really weird like the easy like the the cheap top answer is I just asked them <laughs> Of course The answer real answer is uh I I did a lot of networking through going to various conventions okay. as well as uh LinkedIn which is a very valuable source for sure. so anybody's trying to make connections to LinkedIn, uh, you know, and you just talk to them. You say, "Listen, this is what we're doing. This is our product." You know, pretty much what I did with you. <laughs> yeah, but well, I <laughs> was, know, well, I, the reason I asked is because you know, a lot of people, like you said, you approached us, but did they? Did any approach you initially? Like, did they see the idea and said, "Hey, you know, we want to get involved in this"? Because that's one of the things you kind of remember uh, about certain sponsors and certain advertisers you work with are the ones that approach you and and have a belief in what you want to do. I can tell you there was two that came to me. Um, one was, I can't announce yet because they haven't signed. Gotcha. But, well, basically I'm waiting for them to give me a contract. The other one is, uh, the company called Fracture. They make, uh, these custom trophies and they actually said, listen, we really want to sponsor this event. What can we do to, you know, set this up? And, you know, I gave them all the information, showed them our deck and they, they picked one of the, the second highest one, which is like $2,500 and which blew my mind. I was like, whoa, I was like, you know, awesome, <laughs> you know, and it's, you have to do a lot of going to them, but the people that go to you, like Fracture, they generally just want to get their name out and they just want to help you. And those are the ones you always want to keep around because they always like to help. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's one of the things that, that is crucial, especially for an event like this, the people that are, that are with you from the get go, you, you feel I don't even want to use the word grateful because that's not it, but you know that they genuinely believe in your product because they're the ones that are coming to you and want to get an investment in, in the apex series. So it's good that you guys are getting people coming to you because it's true. Yeah. You can pitch to a lot of companies and it's, you know, it's, it's a stressful process because there's a lot of, there's a lot of no's and a lot of yeses and the people that give you the yeses aren't exactly who you want. You know, it's, it's, it's a struggle from, from start to finish. So it's good to see that, companies are actually approaching you guys and are really uh, throwing their support behind it. Yeah, it's it's very it's very telling of the event because a lot of people, you know, a lot of things that happen in these communities is like you have to know, you have to have a friend in the inside. Like, I won't name any people, but there are uh, people that only sponsor their friends. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, which is, you know, kind of biased considering they work for Fortune 500 companies. But, um... <laughs> You know, I feel that, you know, your hard work should always dictate uh, how much sponsorship you get. And, I, and I'm one of the hardest working people. And it shows. And, you know, a lot of these sponsors, they, they help they help cover a lot of costs, like you know, venue costs, equipment rentals, the whole shebang. And, and that's what we need. And, you know, more than prize money, because these people are going to come even if we don't have prize money. 
but a lot of the little things like the lighting, the screens, everything that a lot of people forget that costs money. That doesn't, that doesn't just fall from the sky once you're in right. a venue. There's so many hidden costs. And, you know, I thank every one of my sponsors. And I, I also thank our, our partners because we have several partners. One of the big ones, the two big ones is our media partner, which is Screw Attack. Yep. Uh, if you don't know who they are, Screw Attack. ScrewTech.com works heavily with the Angry Video Game Nerd. They also do a lot of their own content. They're great, great, great guys. On uh, OC Remix, they make an album for us every year now. They made an album last year and they're making an album this year. So, you know, we have these gamers that, you know, they don't necessarily play competitively, but they are involved with us because, again, we're not about the hardcore. We're about everybody. And that's, you know, what gets everybody coming. Especially me, because I love OC Remix. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. OC Remix, uh, OC Remix, they, they've worked with us. We've had them on air a few times. Uh, Kyle, uh, DJ Pretzel. No, not DJ Pretzel. Uh, Larry OG, a lot of those guys. They've been, they've been on the show with us. You know, we play a lot of OC Remix tracks to close out a lot of our episodes. So they're, they're a great group of guys. So I'm, I'm glad to see that they're, they're behind you. And, you know, it'll, it'll be cool to just kind of come, come full circle because, like I said, we've, We've worked with them a lot and we played a lot of their tracks to close out some shows. So it's good to see that they're, you know, supporting an event that we're behind as well, you know? Yeah. And, and Larry is great and I love those guys. And one of the things they also do is they also put our stream on their site, which is amazing. And I, I thank them for it so much. And, you know, working with them and talking with them, they just love music and they love games. And, you know, Jose de Barros Rican, um, I, you said you're from the Bronx, right? Yep, I grew up there. I was born there. I was born at uh, Lincoln Hospital, and um, I lived in the Bronx till I was 14, 13. Uh, um, Jose de Bronx Rican lives near my school, Fordham University, nice. a couple blocks away. And so when I met, when he told me, you know, because you know his name, Jose Barros-Rican. He has to live in the Bronx. <laughs> like, if he <laughs> that's doesn't, right. that's, you know, you start laughing. So he tells me, oh, yeah, you know, I work in, I work at Jacoby, which is right near my house. And he's like, I, you know, I live in Fordham, like near Fordham University. And I was like, where? No, I live right near Aunt Dad. And I'm like, you're kidding me. That's so, cool. like, I'll go with, like, I'll meet up with him once or twice and we'll go to inside Fordham and sit down and talk. And, you know, it's great. It's, it's really, you know, a small world, and I love those guys because they just put so much work in. I mean, I, I posted the link of the, the album, and the album's phenomenal. And next this year's album is going to be even better. I was I was going to ask, and, and an event like this to organize and put together, you know, what's the what's the the total cost you guys end up running to to from from start to finish for an event like this? Um, you mean like the to- um, say that again? Like the total like, cost for an event, like, this one out. like to to run the, the oh, event. The cost. Yeah. I can tell you, last year's costs were close to thirty thousand dollars, wow. if not more. And that's not that's not even just venue. The venue would be like ten thousand dollars, and then the twenty thousand dollars is paying staff, paying for equipment, paying for this, 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 and it keeps like rolling up. Um. So it it really becomes really uh, cost costly. Which is why we only do it once a year. I can't do this more than once. No, no, no. <laughs> I would, I would, I would go nuts. You, stress, stress alone would drive me nuts. Well, one of the things, the, the the creation of this event, basically, when you closed out, 
20, you know, the, the event for 2013, do you, do you start building the 2014 event right after, you know what I mean? Like, does the planning for the next phase start a week after, or do you kind of decompress and, you know, rest for a month or two before you get the ball rolling? Is it an 11 month creation period or is it less than that? It is, um, I could tell you this year we started immediately, but we all sat down and said, listen, we're taking one month off. We need a month of like decompression and relaxation. And then, you know, we all called, I called everybody up. I was like, it's, it's been a month and, you know, we're all like crap. <laughs> and then we just go right back into it. So right. like it's, it's, it's pretty much never ending for us. <laughs> Well, the, the reason I ask is because to, to execute a lot of these events, like, uh, you know, you citing, um, let's say, let's say Comic Con, you know, Comic Con, you, you finish that day and then that following day, it's like, oh, get ready for the next one. And it's like, but the last one just ended. So I was yeah, curious with the thought process because everybody organizes events differently. And I've never really spoken to someone that, that has organized something of such a large scale, you know? It's, it's, um, it's something where if you, I believe that planning, the longer you plan, the better the event's going to be. And, you know, when you plan a lot of things in advance, things work out. Uh, unfortunately, things happen. Like, for example, our website, um, the reason it's going down so much is because every smash site, and I really, I, I actually, I want to put this out there. Every smashboard site, any site that is a big hub for smash has been hacked wow we've all been hacked and attacked yeah it's called ddosing which basically means somebody is going and pinging the site so much that the server crashes wow and it happened to the major site which is smashboards and you can look this up this is in kotaku this is all over the place about ddosing and you know we haven't found out who's done it yet and then you know as apex you know we started hitting 500 600 people we got ddosed you know, everything That's was crazy. fine until we started hitting numbers. Yeah, yeah and I, it's very frustrating, too. And yeah, I remember because I saw that the media registration was live and, you know, I was going to go and register, uh, you know, members of our team to cover the event. And I saw it. I was like, oh, that's pretty bad. And then as as the as the days passed, I said, yeah, he's not having a, you know, he's he's going to be pretty, pretty frustrated because it it's, you know, we're in December. Oh, we're and, all pissed. And, and the event's a month away, you know. Yeah, and. And our site just went back up and now it got hacked again. And it's like, who wants, who would do this? You know, and, and it's somebody who generally just doesn't like Smash because it's, ha like I said, it happened to Smashboards. It happened to a website that's focused on Project Dem and it, it's just happening over and over again. And it's getting to a point where we're all getting really upset about it. And there's, and the frustrating thing is there's literally nothing we can do but wait. And, you know, people are thankfully registering. Uh, you could just email me for the media stuff and okay. just email me all the info. But, you know, we're, we're just trying to get this site going and it just doesn't seem like that whoever's doing this is really wanting it to happen. And, and it's, it's interesting because Smash is becoming so big because of Apex, because of Evo, you know, because of, for example, I don't know if you heard of the sweet life of Zach and Cody. Yep, I have. My sister watches it. <laughs> yeah, do you know? Yeah, some the, the the actor Sprouse. He tweeted about Smash. Oh wow, that's crazy. He's like, I love Smash. I love Project M. You can look up uh, his Twitter. 
It's Dylan Sprouse, at Dylan Sprouse or something like that. And he was talking about it. Everybody's like, oh, come to Apex, come to Apex. Or, you know, for example, you know, you have that. Or you have uh, the guy, Taylor something, one of the American Idol people, was playing Smash at uh, Evo. Nice. The gray-haired guy from America. So it, it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, this starts happening. So it makes you wonder. But, you know, but that's what we're here for. We've been through worse. This is not the first time we've been through some struggles with people like that. And, you know, they're not going to beat us. That's the bottom line. They'll take our site down. That's fine. But they're not going to, like, take our site down for good. We have we have a lot of workarounds. And thanks to Smashboards and Chris Brown, uh, well, he's not that Chris Brown, but uh, <laughs> his name is Chris Brown. Uh, I Trust me, I make fun of him all the time. Right? I'm sure. But, uh, you know, he he actually, he runs Smashboards. And he owns it, and he has a, a really, really big server for it. And he's the one who's been helping us get back on board, so a big thank you to him. Okay. And, you know, it's this, but he's, we're still getting site. I just went to the site right now, and it's, it's still down. And, you know, in about an hour, it'll be right back up. That's just how this attack is happening. But, well, you know, back to your original question. I, no, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 because I actually forgot. <laughs> I have a bad memory. No, that's all right. What I was going to ask, uh, my next question was to, to kind of start uh, tying everything up. If people wanted to register, what what do they need to do in order to register? Or if people wanted uh, further information, do you want them to hit up the Facebook fan page? Or do you feel that they should just keep trying to hit up the site? I just want to make sure because I'm you know, dropping all the stuff in the chat. And I want to make sure that anybody who's local here in New York City that wants to check it out can uh, get the information and register if they want to be involved. I would say as of right now, uh, go to the uh, fan page uh, and just message us. Uh, I would say check the website. You know, with this attack, it's, you know, unfortunately, and I feel really bad, like there's nothing I can do. But, you know, message us saying, hey, I want to come. You know, what do I need to do? And we'll say, oh, go register here. And if you say, oh, the registration's down, then we'll work around it with either PayPal or something like that. But, um, you know, in general, the website should be up. But, you know, with these attacks, you can't really tell. But, yeah, just hit us up on Facebook because, you know, we're, we're the type of people that just like chatting with people anyway. So we'll chat from people from Mexico, Peru, Japan, and all that. And we'll just have, like, hour-long conversations. <laughs> Well, we just, um, I posted the hotel information, uh, just so anybody that's interested in, you know, making a three day weekend out of it and, and hanging out that three day weekend. Oh, yeah, the big. Yeah, I, I made sure to, to post it because I know that. You need to get the hotels. The hotel is selling out. We already sold 280 rooms. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's why I'm saying get the rooms now because. I'm getting calls from the hotel like literally every day. Like, uh, we're, we're adding more rooms because we ran out. That's I got three calls in the past three days like that we ran out of rooms. I got a question. Uh, so, Jay, Jay, one of our staffers, he wanted to know, what is a banned substance in a video game tournament? Substance as in Snoop Doggy Dog substance or substance as in Breaking Bad substance? Because um, I can tell you both of those should not be in a tournament. Well, no, well, no because... Actually, not. No, it, it's, the reason I say that is because I, I, I see he asked it, but I've heard, you know, I've heard people that they'll, you know, they'll take like Adderall or stuff like that to focus. Oh, and it's always that. Been, yeah, that, that kind of, I'm assuming that that's where he was going with it, but 
I figured I'd drop that in there because, you know, I've seen, I've seen people, they do that to, to kind of stay focused. And also, um, you know, some people mod their equipment. So I wanted to know what kind of stuff do you guys run into with regards to that? And also to answer Jay's question as well. Okay. Well, we'll start with the equipment because that's a little easier. Um, you can, as long, the thing is with, with equipment is, um, with there's so many people and, you know, so, not enough volunteers, which by the way, if you guys want to volunteer, we'll provide you with free shirts and all that stuff. So please do just message us on Facebook. Um, we ban anything that's not cosmetic. Anything that's cosmetic is fine. If your stick is orange and black, we don't care. If your stick, um, or rather your game controller, because that's the best way to describe it, um, you have a uh, motherboard that does auto auto L canceling, for example. That's just a, a technique. Then that's obviously banned, or any turbo buttons are banned. Uh, for sticks, there's really not a way to, to do anything. The only thing you can do is map buttons, and that's banned, uh, except in Tekken, because I think that's legal. I have to double check, because Tekken's the one game I'm not familiar with, and I apologize. Uh, in terms of substances, here's the thing with Adderall. If I walk up to you and I see you taking Adderall, right? Right. And I, and I am not Major League Baseball. I am not the National Basketball Association. I can't say anything to you. I see. Okay. Because legally, I'm not, I'm not a, because legally, I'm not a doctor. I see. Now, Adderall is a medical substance. It's prescribed. Yep. Now, obviously, some of these kids, they don't have it prescribed. Of course. But, you know, if somebody tells me, oh, he's taking Adderall, and there's no, like, visual sight, because you got to go, like, police standards. If you don't see it in, in your, your line of vision, I can't just tell you to take piss in the cup. No, I understand. I can't. Legally, I can't. I have, I have no right to. Right. Now, if I was the NBA, I could do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> of course. Or rather, let me just make, let me, no, because the NBA doesn't do that. I'm the NFL, and I can do whatever the hell I want, because I'm the NFL. Like, I can have bullshit calls, and nobody cares, because I'm the NFL. <laughs> but, um, you know, then they have the right to do it, because you're playing under them. Makes sense. That's, which is a big, a huge problem. Now, if you suddenly come in, you smell like liquor and Snoop Doggy Dog, and, and it's really obvious, then you're going to get escorted out. Okay. And I've escorted out people. Ah, Not myself, have. I have five bucks. Yeah. And you know what? I just tell them, you know, just take a nap drink some water. <laughs> and if you're, and I know these people, I know somebody who came drunk to an event. He was over 21. So if he could do that, you know, that's his God given right. Uh, but because these events are, you know, you have to pay to enter. There are rules we have when you sign up, there's a, you have to accept the terms and conditions. Uh, so when you come in and you start like being really rowdy or being disrespectful, we, throw, we tell you once and then we throw you out. And we don't hire like people that are like really small. We hire, uh, this one guy's a professional bodybuilder. We have another guy who's a, an MMA fighter. We have That's another guy who's it. a, yeah. I hire people that can kick my ass. Well, you know, well, you know what it <laughs> I is? I say you can kick ass. I ask because, you know, especially over the last couple of months, I've seen a, a huge increase in, in people writing, especially a lot of, uh, of gaming journalists and website owners writing about, you know, just uncomfortable experiences at events, either um, individuals that are cosplaying or just individuals that are working the event, just having 
uncomfortable experiences. So, you know, I'm glad you brought that up about just what's, um, you know, just what's going on with that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's increased. I, I'd want to say it's increased more within the last year or so with the, with the influx of just more mainstream events. You know, you have PAX East, E3, you know, New York Comic Con, Big Apple Con. So, out of every one of those events, I've seen stories citing just issues that people have had to deal with at these events, whether it's, you know, being being harassed or or, you know, just weird situations like that. So it's good to hear that you guys are going out of your way to ensure that you not only are offering a safe environment, but also a fun environment as well. Yeah, well, the main thing is, is there's kids there. That's the that's the main difference between a fighting game event, which is mostly adults, and a event that has casual uh, a PAX or an Apex, you know, where there's not just Smash Brothers, which is also played by children, you know, but it's also you know a family friend environment. We we don't mind people getting rowdy and getting hyped. That's that's a part of you know any sports environment. You know, you go to a sports environment, you bring your kid. There's going to be that one guy who's cursing like, yeah, let's I can go, ba 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 ba, and. And obviously, I can't tell that person you can't curse, right. because you know that's that's your right as a, a spectator. Correct. Uh, however, you know there are boundaries, and when those boundaries are met, you know we have to tell them, listen, you can't do that. There's children here, and you know for the most part, I've never had an issue when I've told these people, and I've told these people, you know, there's one guy, and he's a great guy too. So I don't want to say his name, but you know he's from Detroit. That's all I gotta say. You know he curses. <laughs> you know, he's from the D, you know, he's just like that type of guy. And I, you know, and I went up to him and said, listen, you know, there's children over here, man. You know, I understand that's how you are and I respect that. But, you know, when there's children around, you know, I don't want to get them, give them that impression. And he's like, you're the first guy, like, when I go to these events, that just went up to me and just told me instead of just saying, you know, yelling at me. And I was like, yeah. well, that's not how I do things. I, I, t- I talk to you straight up because, you know, I don't know. You're not doing it on purpose. You're just getting excited. And he's like, you know, I understand. Thank you so much. And that was it. You know, guy was great. And, you know, then you have the people you have to throw out, <laughs> you know. Hey, it happens. But uh, it happens. But overall, you know, in terms of uh, substances, you know, if they're in plain sight, you're, you're out. I- I'm not having that at my event. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a CM Punk person. So, even though I kind of broke that rule because of my best friend's wedding, I did drink, but you know, I generally don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do any type of um, illegal substances. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I broke it. My friend's wedding, but that's, that's your friend's wedding. It's either I do that or my friends are going to bother me for the rest of my life to do it. (laughs) So I just, that, you know, you take that one or two shots, but overall, yeah, overall it's about, you know, presentation. Gotcha. Great experience. Great tournament. All right. So just to tie everything up for, um, you know, because we're getting into the one o'clock hour, uh, the Apex series, you can find them on Facebook, Apex Tournament Series. Don't look for uh, Apex Tournament by itself. It's facebook.com forward slash Apex dot series. And, um, of course, uh, via social media, where else can they find you guys besides Facebook? At Apex underscore series that is our main twitter uh you can find me at apex underscore alex strife uh i'll give you the apex series one because that's the one everybody we use the most um so let me just put that there for you guys awesome 
And you can also alternatively email us at apex.series at gmail.com. Got it. Or, you know, go to our website, which is apex-series.com. Should be up. If it's not, you know, just spell us. But overall, you know, that's how you can contact us. If you need anything, you can always, you know, if you guys know this guy who does a great job, you can always hit him up and, you know, he'll probably reach out to me. But overall, that's how you reach us. And we're, you know, we're pretty laid back people. We're nice people. The, um, the tournament. (laughs) There you go. The tournament dates are Martin Luther King weekend, January 17th, 18th and 19th. And it's going to be at, uh, where's the, Address, it's 200 Atrium Drive in Somerset, New Jersey. And one other thing I wanted to ask, because I'm sure people are going to ask, what is the uh, price of admission, if any? And, um, you know, what are what are some areas uh, that yeah. they can stay at? Well, the the whole the venue is a hotel. So it is the Doubletree Hilton. So if you're going to book your rooms, book your rooms now, because they will go fast. Uh, normally, they are 99 a night. If you do not have that rate, you email us and we can change that rate for you. But awesome. that's only for a certain time. Uh, the prices are, as of right now, the venue fee actually went up to $35. It was originally $30, so $10 each day, ideally. Uh, each tournament is $10 except for Melee and Brawl. Those are 15 because those are our main games. Uh, everything else is $10. And all the casual games and everything is free, so you don't have to pay for that. They will have some side events. Those are also listed on our Facebook page, our Facebook event page. Uh, those are generally $10 each. Uh, those include, you know, Skullgirls, Killer Instinct, DOA 5, you know, other, all those games. So, um, for those games, you just register at the door. Uh, alternatively, you can catch us on stream on Twitch TV. We'll be on the front page there. But, you know, those are general prices. So we're, we're pretty inexpensive when it comes to conventions because most conventions are like $50, $60. And, and we also give you guys like a really good show. That's what our, we love to do the most. So it's 30, just to be clear, yep. so I can make notes, it's going to be $35 for the three days, right? Correct. And, and that's until December 17th. And it goes up another $5 and it stays 40 until January. Uh, the second week of January, I forget the exact number, but, and that's when we end registration for any tournament, for any Smash tournament, and you have to go at the door. Okay, what's we don't the, uh, the door Smash price going to be? Door, we take everything else. The door twice, the door price is going to be for, uh, 40. 40. Got it. And when I say you should register online, you really should, because if you register at the door, let me tell you this, it's not a fun experience. People don't like doing it. That's why we don't, we barely have it. And the only reason we do have it is because we just started doing fighting games. So we're just building that brand. Gotcha. That's, that's totally, that's totally understandable. All right. Um, like I said, just to make sure I get it out there, of course, uh, facebook.com forward slash apex series. Of course, apex dash series.com is the website, uh, at apex underscore series on Twitter. Also, Apex underscore Alex Strife, which is your Twitter name for people to keep up with the event. Of course, uh, myself and some of our team will be there to cover the event in person. So we really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no problem, man. I love you guys. I love this show so far. Been watching a couple episodes and, you know, 
I would love to eventually sit down and talk some wrestling. <laughs> That's my thing. All right. So yeah, you know and what we're gonna do. Thank you having me, by the way. Nah, you know what? You know what? Uh, what we'll do is, and and we had discussed this, so I'll let the listeners know. Um, Jonathan will be back uh, the Thursday before Apex to just discuss the event, and we will definitely get some wrestling in. I believe the Rumble, the Royal Rumble, is that Sunday. So maybe we'll try and put something together, maybe do some Royal Rumble picks, and uh, that way we could cover it that way, if that works. Oh, the Rumble, the Rumble, the Rumble. Yeah, I think... I'm, I, another event I'm not going to watch. <laughs> of course. I, I really... Think, I think it'd be a great tie-in, because I, I know, um, I think we scheduled uh, you to come back, I believe it's the 16th of January, so depending on, on how the the card looks, at least we can... We can get some conversation out there. Maybe get some some apex rumble picks for for a couple of laughs that we could throw on the site. Yeah, everybody. If anybody says who do you think is going to win the rumble, everybody die don't want to win. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for like the anger towards the WWE. And it really started when like Dan, oh, I'll just tell real quick and then you can go. Uh, my issue with the WWE right now is when I went to NoDQ.com and I read that they're not pushing Daniel Bryan anymore because he didn't make enough money. And I literally said, that makes absolutely no sense when the entire crowd is cheering for him. Right. That's really dumb. And then they had him feud with the Big Show, like Big Show feuding with Orton. And then I don't know what the hell this storyline is. And it pretty much angers me because the two best wrestlers, like, and I like, here's the thing, I like Cena, I like Orton, but this is Daniel Bryan's time. Give him the belt. Why did you go through all that and then just not give it to him? It, it just really makes you angry. And I got so angry, I said, I'm not watching. There's no point. And the fact that Cena recognized it and mentioned it, like that, you know, people want him to win, they should just give it to him. And people are telling me, oh, they're going to give it to him in the Rumble, but there's rumors it's not going to be him, it's going to be Sheamus who wins. And that's why I refuse to watch it. Hey, man. I don't want to watch it and just feel upset. I respect, I respect how passionate some, you are about it. You know, some, you know, it takes, it takes some pretty big stones. Well, my to, cousin's in the business. I have to. Ah, who's your cousin? My cousin. What do you think? I'm Puerto Rican. I, I knew, <laughs> I met him through his father. There's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Puerto Ricans in professional wrestling. So that, that kind of has, you got it. You got to get Really? Carlito. Get out of here. One of the biggest wastes of talent. And I, I hate putting him on blast, but he is one of the biggest wasted talent in wrestling because he wow. left the WWE and everybody wanted him to stay. And you know why? Because he's lazy. And that's how he is. He's always been lazy. His father's told me that many times. But he, ha- he helps his father with promotions. So I respect that. Wow. That's. But yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny. I'm, I'm, I've I been like a wrestling fan since I was a kid. <laughs> I like, I My grandfather I like got me into wrestling. All right. Well, a- answer me this before we wrap it up. Tell me that 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 you that you are not cool with Primo and and Epico as as the bullfighters. Please tell me that. You want my opinion on it? Yes, please. It they can wrestle, right? I, I agree. I think the gimmick is incredibly racist. <laughs> but here's the thing: um, they can talk English, unlike Sin Cara. Yep. They can. They're actually over with the children, unlike Sin Cara. They don't make mistake, unlike Sin Cara, and they're funny to watch. So he, I treat wrestling as a circus. 
there's something for everybody. There's the hardcore, there's the, you know, the, the clowns, you know, like the Cali, you know, these guys. And then there's like the, you know, the interesting things. So that's how I treat it like that. But, you know, even with that said, the whole Daniel Bryant thing, and I've never been angry at the WWE. I've, they've screwed over character after character. They screwed over Ryback and I didn't care. They screwed over, you know, what Bret Hart years ago, I didn't care. But Daniel Bryant, for whatever reason, it, it just irked me because he's, uh, he was so, he's, he's so over that, that it doesn't make any logical sense. And they're trying to say, oh, it's because he didn't make any money. And that's not the truth. The reason WWE pay-per-views are down in general is because people are streaming them because nobody wants to pay for this crap anymore. And it really is crap. And, and, you know, and you're going to put a storyline with Randy Orton, who, no offense, I can't believe as a serious heel. I can't even take him serious as a face. He's just there. He has no mic skills. He's just like, I'm Randy Orton. And he has to rely on Triple H to get him over. Personally, I would have booked it <clears throat> with Triple H, you know, have Triple H give him the belt. But then when the vacancy happened and Bryant wins, Triple H should have won the title. Because unlike Vince, he can w- take the title and he can go fight with Bryant, and that would have been more entertaining because that's the match you wanted to see. You wanted to see Daniel beat him. You didn't care about Orton. Nobody does. But, again, that's me. And, you know, the whole thing with CM Punk. And CM Punk had his great feud with Heyman, which I like. But, you know, Punk, and it should be Punk versus Bryant. It shouldn't be Cena versus Orton. That's just me. There you go. All right. So, uh, <laughs> with that said, I I think I think definitely when, when you come back on the 16th, we – we can get a little deeper into the wrestling segment because it that will we'll have less to promote on the apex side of things since the event will be the next day. Yeah, uh, I'll probably be a nervous wreck. So just... <laughs> it's all good, man. But I, I'll enjoy it. There you go. Thank there, you so much for I, having me on this. No problem, man. I I appreciate you taking the time to uh to talk about the event and you know get us hyped for it. We look forward to covering the event and trying to give our our listeners you know the best experience for you know for regarding apex that we can you know oh not a problem and um we will be there thursday we're trying to plan a pregame show so if you guys want to come down you're invited all right sounds good man thanks again for taking the time out no problem man thank you so much all right brother take care of yourself you too all right that was Jonathan from Apex, you can follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is right in the chat, and it is at Apex underscore Alex Strife, A-L-E-X-S-T-R-I-F-E, and the official website is apexseries.com. The site is currently down, so you can check them out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash apex.series. And if you want any further information, make sure to hit us up on the site or hit them up on their Facebook fan page and we'll try and get you all that information. I definitely um, have to applaud Jonathan on his passion with regards to wrestling and legitimately taking a stance on what was going on with Daniel Bryan and citing that as a reason that he stopped watching the product. I mean, it's it's interesting because as somebody who watches wrestling as you know just a hobby and then watches it for the show, it's very interesting to see somebody legitimately stop watching it because they're 
very disheartened by the product. It's not every day you run into that. A lot of people, they do it in cycles, but I, you know, I, I definitely commend Jonathan for having the stones to do that. And with that said, that's actually a uh, great segue for us to go into the wrestling segment because the strawweight UFC announcement was actually the last segment of the show. So with that said, let's get into some wrestling because there is definitely a lot to discuss. Booker, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! I'm here! All right, so let's get into it with Monday Night Raw first and foremost. Of course, Monday Night Raw had the Slammy Awards, which I'll be honest, a lot of times the Slammy Awards are done and the show, it it just takes a backseat to the overall spectacle that is just the presentation of the Slammy Awards. But WWE actually did a really great job in terms of doing the Slammy Awards right because what they did was they would have the nomination, uh, commercial break, come back, announce the winner, and then have the match. So it actually worked out well. It was really good pacing. And, you know, one of the first matches was Daniel Bryan and Fandango, which was a surprisingly decent match. We actually got to see a little bit more from Fandango in this match. And we already see that the WWE honeymoon with Fandango has come and gone just because now He's not to say that he's been relegated to jobber status, but he really is, you know, he's a guy that if he loses, it's not bad. If he wins, it's okay. But the thing that got me was the great promo work from Bray Wyatt. Once again, just pushing uh, Daniel Bryan to join the Wyatt family. Just again, amazing promo work from the one and only Bray Wyatt, who definitely has a tremendous upside. I think that he's going to be one of those guys that has an incredible amount of longevity in the business. He he works very safe. His matches are very safe, but he has just the 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 overall gimmick allows him to kind of methodically break down his opponents in turn, protecting himself from injury. So uh, I'm very curious to see how the match goes between Brian and the Wyatt family. There's a there's a lot at stake there, and it's going to be a lot of really great storytelling. So I'm really looking forward to where the storyline goes. So the first nomination, of course, was the Laugh Out Loud moment, which was presented by the New Age Outlaws, which was pretty cool. They came out dressed like uh, Harold and Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, Daniels and Kazarian had done it first. I saw a lot of people, they were like, oh yeah, you know, Daniels and Kazarian, uh, they, they, the gimmick was stolen from them by the New Age Outlaws. Listen, the fucking tuxedos were worn on Dumb and Dumber. Don't get your panties in a bunch. It was funny. And it amused me. Uh, the moments that were nominated were the rock concert from the 20th anniversary of Raw, Rick, Vicky Guerrero getting fired, and Triple H pretty much breaking character and laughing in her face, uh, Titus O'Neil throwing up on JBL, and I did not know about the great colleague Jinder Mahal uh, doing the snake charming shit with uh, Santino's Cobra. I did not. I had never seen that match, and I it just I laughed for a good five minutes because it was so ridiculously stupid, and it. 
it, it reminded me of the, um, I believe it was the Chikara match where they threw the grenade, the invisible grenade that went off and everybody sold like the grenade exploded and it was fucking hilarious. So of course it's a no brainer that the, that the rock wins the LOL moment with the rock concert. But I have to admit that once again, the rock has great comedic timing and it worked. Our second match of the night, Santino, Damian Sandow. We all knew that that was a throwaway match with Damian Sandow, of course, uh, having the standoff with Big E Langston. I expect um, big things from Big E. And it's funny how Santino is another, I mean, uh, not Santino, Damian Sandow is another guy who he's pretty much been on the cusp of winning the belt and now he's challenging for the IC belt. Not that that's a bad thing because it adds legitimacy to that title, but it just, it's very strange the way that you went from nearly becoming champion to kind of stuck in, I don't want to say mid card hell, but kind of sorta. So one of the things a lot of people were talking about the Tuesday morning when I went into the office was the shield presenting double cross of the year. Besides the fact that they came out in awesome black tuxedos and each tuxedo reflected a per the personality of each shield member. I like the continued teasing of dissension that was done between the shield. Of course, Shawn Michaels screwing over Daniel Bryan was your winner of double cross of the year. And like I said, there was a lot of, there was a lot of great moments that could have won that and it wouldn't have bothered me. Uh, Mark Henry's retirement was an amazing, amazing double cross. So was Paul Heyman turning on CM Punk, but the Mark Henry retirement hoax definitely resonated with me because every, I'd like to say out of everybody I spoke to, at least 70, 75% believed Mark Henry was going to retire just because of the way it was booked, the way it was done. Mark Henry shed genuine fucking tears. It was crazy. And it just really brought the angle full circle. So I really like that. And had Shawn Michaels not won it, I would have said Mark Henry's retirement would have been the best double cross. Of course, we got Kofi Kingston versus The Miz Part 1000, which, of course, ends with The Miz using the cheap roll-up. And, of course, Kofi Kingston gets mad, hits trouble in paradise. People get up and use the bathroom. Eve Torres presented Diva of the Year. Of course, Eve Torres, who left the WWE and now uh, pretty much does uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu full-time. Is you know it was refreshing to see Eve back there. She she looked in phenomenal shape, and she she had great presence. The crowd kind of was receptive to her being on stage, which was cool. Uh, I kind of felt, and this is the weird thing: a lot of people said that these votes were a hundred percent legitimate, and to a degree, I can see where that may be the case. But this diva's vote for diva of the year was incredibly suspect for me. The nominees were the Bella Twins. Natalia, Caitlyn, AJ Lee, Eva Marie, and the Funkadactyls. Now, here's a couple of things. Number one, there are two, three, five, five, six, counting, counting Natalia, that pretty much the entire cast of Total Divas was up for Diva of the Year. Now, let's be realistic. Whenever we've seen the Slammies, the Slammies for, were awarded to divas that have made an impact from, you know, a wrestling standpoint. Not to say that Caitlyn deserved it because Caitlyn pretty much has been relegated to 
the occasional one-off appearance, but I would have given it to AJ, who was your champion and has been a driving force for the division, or I would have given it to Natalia because she is the most technically sound out of all the divas thus far. Giving it to the Bella Twins really felt like, you know, uh, it really screamed like it was rigged. I mean, even, even Jonathan who's in the chat said it. He's, he feels that it was rigged. And, and it's, it's weird because of course, you know, they come out, they accept the slammy, blah, blah, blah. And I just felt, like I said, it just felt forced. Like if anybody should have won that on principle should have been AJ, you know, her, her pipe bomb promo was, was tremendous when she dropped the pipe bomb on the divas division. That alone should have warranted her diva of the year accolade, but the Bella twins are the flavor of the month. You know, they got the E series, so they got to continue to promote the shit out of that, which, you know, it's, it's to be expected. We got a, uh, what is it? Eight man tag match. I had to make sure, uh, Ray Mysterio, the big show and the Rhodes brothers took on, uh, the real Americans and Ryback and Curtis Axel in a, in a, in a pretty solid match. It was, it was pretty good. Um, I think it was, there were so many pieces in the match that it kind of got, I want to say it got muddied a little bit, but overall it was, uh, it was a solid match. I feel that, uh, the real Americans are probably being groomed for a tag team title run, which may eventually lead to the Cesaro face turn, which has been mentioned online quite often, especially over the last couple of weeks. Um, We'll see if that's the case, primarily because the crowd gets into the uh, the Cesaro swing. We'll see if that's enough to drive him to become a face. And um, I agree. Jonathan says, how can you turn him face when they don't let him talk? I agree. But a lot of people have been saying that, and it's been, you know, Pro Wrestling Insider, a lot of the usual sites have been talking about turning him face. I, I personally feel that Antonio Cesaro is just beginning to hit his stride and they dropped the ball with him with his initial run where he was really getting over. They, they tried so many different things. The, 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 the language thing. They did the yodeling thing, which was abysmal and then making him part of the real Americans. He doesn't really need that. Like he's such an established performer that he doesn't need the manager. He doesn't need the shitty gimmick. He can just go out there and wrestle. And that's what he does well. But. They insist on trying to turn him face just on the fact that people are into the Cesaro swing. That's creative for you. So the Superstar of the Year nominees were, and and this was pretty questionable too, and the reason I say that is because, think about it, not because of the winner. The person that won earned it. But Superstar of the Year honors went to Brock Lesnar, who even though he made quite an impact, was there for like three months. CM Punk, which is fine, The Big Show, Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton, John Cena, and AJ. Now, the crazy thing with this is, John Cena, of course, everybody felt he was going to win it, and I'm glad that he didn't, and that if the people legitimately voted, the person that they voted for was the person that won, and of course, that is the one and only Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan had an amazing year from start to finish, from turning the corner with 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 his partnership with Kane to his singles run to winning the belt to feuding with the authority it's just been a a tremendous tremendous uh i, I want to say a tremendous ascension for Daniel Bryan's character super over 
the crowd 100% behind him. And it wasn't the first slammy that he won. And we'll discuss that later on, but it was, you know, it, it, it was, it was deserving and I'm glad he got it. Sin Cara took on Alberto Del Rio in a very, very good match, which actually ended with Alberto Del Rio allegedly getting a concussion. If you watched that match in its entirety, you know that there's a spot where Del Rio was on the top rope and Sin Cara hit a uh, top rope powerbomb and Del Rio's head bounced off the mat in a very, very awkward way. And the match ended very quickly um, with Sin Cara securing the Swanton Bomb while using the Swanton Bomb to secure the victory. And it turns out that I don't know if it's if it's a work or not, but you could see that Del Rio genuinely got hurt in that match because it ended so quickly. And just the awkward angle, like I said, at the top of the move, the powerbomb started and Del Rio's head pretty much instead of landing flush, like when you take a back bump, his head actually bounced off the mat. Now, it, it can be it's easily um possible that you can blame Sin Cara and you can say, oh, Sin Cara injured another guy, but it's Hunico under the mask and um, Del Rio, Del Rio didn't take the back bump fully. So I think it was a, just a, a misunderstanding and just poor planning that ended up leading to that. Um, Jonathan Hunico was Sin Cara a couple of times and Hunico is actually Sin Cara now. The guy who was Sin Cara, Mystico, his contract is up and there's been rumors that he's going to get cut and that Sin Cara gimmick will live on with either Hunico under the mask or maybe Samurai Del Sol getting the call up and him being Sin Cara. So we'll see what happens. But in terms of the Del Rio spot, I felt bad because, you know, he, he genuinely got hurt. And even after the match was over, he was laying on the mat for like a few minutes. Um, I, I definitely commend the WWE for getting behind the, um, you know, getting behind, uh, Hunico as Sin Cara, uh, the crowd really digs the character, especially children. And you gotta, you gotta understand that this is going to lead to the eventual match with Rey Mysterio. And one of the things that I've mentioned before is that WWE wants to break the masked record at a live event. And they're going to try probably to set that up for mania. And Hunico is just a more complete performer. And I think he would work well with Rey to, um, you know, to make that match happen. So definitely we'll keep an eye on that and we'll keep you guys posted. The primetime players came out to present the fan participation award. A lot of people were laughing because they were saying that it looked like the Afro pick that Darren Young had besides being bedazzled was pink. I couldn't really tell from the angle. It looked like it was a pink Afro pick, but seriously, who gives a shit? The primetime players are always enjoyable to watch and I am shocked that they didn't include millions of dollars in their fan participation because when they did it, you know, the camera panned into the crowd and you saw a lot of different people doing it, which was pretty cool. Of course, the nominees were uh, Fandangoing, uh, Let's Go Cena, Cena Sucks Chance, uh, What's Up with R-Truth. I don't understand how R-Truth's What's Up is there and millions of dollars wasn't. AJ going crazy and Daniel Bryan's Yes Chance and you know how that went. You know, Daniel Bryan was going to win that, which he did. and um you know, it was a cool segment. Daniel Bryan, of course, reinforcing why he is super over. Uh, we got another, uh, I don't want to say it's a bathroom break match with Brodus Clay and Xavier Woods, but we already know Brodus Clay's turning heel and recycling, <clears throat> recycling this match every week is going to wear thin on the fans. 
Xavier Woods is a tremendously talented individual. Um, you know, he's a friend of the show. He's been on, he was on the show, uh, during the earlier episodes a handful of times. A uh, huge fan of OC Remix, big gamer, uh, just a, just a cool dude. And I'm glad to see him on the main roster. I'm just really bummed out that you're, you know, we, we're, we're pretty much dealing with, with recycling the same match, which is something WWE is guilty of where, where they, they recycle this match to kind of set up a, a, an ongoing feud and they just abuse it so much. Like I said, we've seen Xavier Woods and R-Truth take on both guys. We've seen Xavier Woods take on Brodus Clay solo. Now we get that match again. You know, it's, it's, it's weird that they continue to do that because like I said, Xavier Woods, you bring him up. There's a lot of guys that he could work with on the mid card that would yield tremendous matches. And you're going to leave him in a feud with Brodus Clay, who's, 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 Time has come and gone. Not that I dislike Brodus Clay. I feel that as a tag team, those guys are good. But in terms of just keeping Brodus Clay in the spotlight, like I said, it's come and gone. The Funkadactyls can pretty much survive without Brodus. And Brodus is in a, he's kind of in traction right now. He's in a solid tag team with uh, Tenzai. And they should just build off of that. I think the heel run is going to benefit those guys. But I'm sure that when it happens, they're going to separate them from the Funkadactyls. Because they don't want it to hurt the, the, the presentation of Total Divas. So keep an eye out for that. The Miz go, comes out and he has the nominees for best insult. Uh, AJ Lee's pipe bomb, which definitely should have won. Uh, Zeb Coulter, Paul Heyman and Stephanie McMahon to the big show. I was, I was really bummed out that they gave it to Stephanie, to Stephanie McMahon degrading the big show because I just felt that that was just a, a shitty segment. I would have rather give it to AJ Lee because her pipe bomb on the Divas was tremendous. It was tremendous. It was something that when you saw it, you said, holy shit, shit just got real. And that's exactly what it was. Instead, you know, they go with the safer, oh, we're just going to give it to the boss because, you know, whatever the case is. I, I, I was not a fan of that at all. But, you know, what are you going to do? Some, some of the, some of the awards that they give out I really doubt, and, and you guys can can chime in in the chat room. I really doubt that WWE fans went on the WWE app and voted for Stephanie McMahon degrading the Big Show when AJ Lee's promo was masterfully done. I'm just saying, just saying. CM Punk and Dean Ambrose, of course, squared off once again of the the continued build up to CM Punk facing. The Shield. A couple of things I really liked about that match. Just a great storytelling. The continued teasing of dissension between The Shield. Ambrose saying he's got it. He could do it by himself. And um, CM Punk getting the victory. Again, solid match from start to finish. Great storytelling. And, um, you know, Reigns with the spear at the end to close things out was very, very well done. Now, the quote-unquote extreme moments that were nominated were the shield attacking the undertaker ryback sending cena through the stage cm punk beating Heyman at the top of the cage the wyatt family attacking kane and um you know i felt that cm punk beating paul Heyman at the top of the cage was cool and it worked but it was just him getting beaten on the top of the cage not to say that you know he should have got thrown off the cage but I think that the shield attacking the Undertaker was just a better spot. 
It was very brutal, very vicious. Uh, Ryback sending Cena through the stage was also a, a huge spot that could have gone wrong. But, you know, they went with CM Punk, which is fine. I mean, CM Punk is, is awesome. And he came out, he cut a cool promo about winning the award and him claiming the trophies with no pants. You know, it is what it is. The Usos and the Wyatt family were an awesome match. I really liked it. The Usos continue to improve every week. And the Wyatt family is just a consistent, consistent tag team. I really would like the Usos to get a tag team run. I think they've earned it. They are not only very over with the crowd, but they just work very well with all superstars. Like their matches uh, with the Shield were tremendous. And that match with the Wyatt family was, it was definitely, definitely a solid, solid affair from start to finish. I was thoroughly impressed. Match of the year nominees. And of course, this is going to be up for debate considering who won, but the Undertaker versus CM Punk, Cody Rhodes and Goldust versus The Shield, Triple H versus Brock Lesnar, and The Rock versus John Cena. Now, it's very easy that it's very easy to say, oh, you know, The Undertaker and CM Punk had the best match. That's because they, they did. But it, not even, not even a shocker at this point. John Cena and The Rock did win. Cena comes out, he gets a bunch of booze, and he goes about his business. Now, Cody Rhodes and Goldust versus The Shield was an amazing match, but The Undertaker and CM Punk not only told a great story, but what it, what, what it succeeded in doing was making people believe that CM Punk genuinely had a chance at winning the title. And that's where the kicker comes in. It's not so much, oh, the match was good or not good. It was the fact that it told a great story. John Cena versus The Rock, we knew that the ending was going to be exactly what it was months before the match even happened. Triple H and Lesnar was a solid second place just because the brutality in that match was good. But The Undertaker and CM Punk was, without a doubt, the one of the best matches, period. And again, it raises the question of how legitimate the voting was because when you look at it, the fa- when I voted, I voted for the Undertaker versus CM Punk match. I didn't even look at John Cena versus The Rock. As soon as I saw the list, I had my pick like this. But they didn't go with that. Natalia wrestled Tamina for the 85th time, and it was what it was. Now, the ending segment of the night was probably the highlight of the entire broadcast. There were 20 former champions in the ring, including a Christian sighting. And, um, you know, John Cena cut an amazing promo. I was, uh, as usual, thoroughly impressed. And um, what ended up happening was, uh, Jonathan's asking, uh, Cena cut his promo, Orton cut his promo, they started fighting, um, they went to break it up. Oh, uh, CM Punk went to break it up. Randy Orton hit CM Punk. CM Punk started whooping Orton's ass. Triple H came out of nowhere and grabbed... CM Punk out of the way, then they started fighting. Pretty much everybody started fighting everybody. But the cool thing was Randy Orton went to um hit Daniel Bryan and Daniel Bryan moved out of the way and hit Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon got knocked down, so Triple H got pissed off and hit a pedigree on Randy Orton. So it was it was definitely cool. You know, Daniel Bryan um he gave a uh, a knee to CM Punk. CM Punk got a super kick from HBK. It was it was ridiculous the way it ended because it was so well done. 
and it was such a great way to close it out. And it opens up a very, very interesting question, and it's this. When it ended, you saw Randy Orton was in shock because Cena was standing alongside the authority. Now, we all know that they're not going to turn Cena heel, but think about this. John Cena can stay a face, but the authority can put their support behind him as the face of the company and in turn make him heel without really making him heal. Just think about that for a second. If the authority puts their support behind John Cena and, you know, they send out people to interfere in the match and John Cena goes, listen, I don't need your help. And he, and he throws the, the, you know, whoever interferes out and he beats Randy Orton. It works out well because Randy Orton can say, oh, you know, the authority was helping you. You knew about it, John, blah, blah, blah. And John Cena can stay face yet still have heel heat without even trying. It's very effective in the way that they're gonna, that they're doing that and the question that it raised when the show ended. Cause when you look at it, you're like, huh, look at that. You know, Steph, Kane, Triple H, and John Cena checking on Stephanie McMahon, Randy Orton cowering in the corner, and them standing alongside John Cena. It was just a, a very, <clears throat> it was just a very interesting way to close out that segment. And, and a nice way to really generate a buzz for the pay-per-view. So it's, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, Jonathan says an authority face turn and he said he closes it out by saying, I feel bad being so cynical. And you know what the problem is? You have good reason to be cynical because here's the funny thing with professional wrestling. And we've talked about this numerous times. Wrestling go- comes in cycles. You have cycles of months upon months upon months of just amazing storytelling and then you have months upon months of just shit that's how it goes you know when we had the summer of punk with uh with him just running roughshod and great promo work and great wrestling everybody was into the product then you know the 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 authority and the crazy shit and corporate kane and daniel bryan not getting the rub people people feel uh bummed out but like I said, overall, Raw was surprisingly good. I was thoroughly impressed with the way it ended. Um, for those of you that didn't get to see it, you can check out that angle on YouTube. I would have played it, but uh, it, it does nothing because there wasn't really any dialogue. So let's get into the rest of the wrestling news for this week. Uh, WWE.com posted a very interesting list. And of course, whenever they post those lists, they they're always up for debate, and I'm sure you guys are going to disagree with exactly this list. Uh, they posted top 50 matches in Raw history. Now, of course, you can check out the full link. Uh, you can check out the, the full article on WWE.com, but here, here are the top 10 matches, and I want to see what you guys think. Number 10 was Owen Hart versus the British Bulldog for the European title in uh, March 1997. Number nine was Cactus Jack versus Triple H, False Count Anywhere. Number eight was Rob Van Dam versus Edge versus John Cena in a WWE Triple Threat match. Number seven was The Rock versus Mankind WWE Championship match from January 4th, 1999. Number six was Rey Mysterio versus John Cena from July 25th, 2011. Number five, The Undertaker versus Jeff Hardy Undisputed Championship Ladder Match from June 1st, 2002, which was a very, very good match. Triple H versus Shawn Michaels World Heavyweight Championship from December 29th, 2003. 
I totally forgot about this match. Bret Hart versus the 123 Kid, July 11th, 1994. Number two, Ric Flair versus Mr. Perfect, loser leaves WWE match, January 25th, 1993, which was tremendous. Last but not least, the number one match, and I'm sure people are going to disagree with this, was John Cena versus Shawn Michaels, April 23rd, 2007. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Those are the top 10 matches out of the top 50 in Raw history. I'm going to just post the, uh, the 10 matches on the, on the, uh, on the chat and you guys can discuss it there. In some TNA news, it appears that AJ Styles will be leaving TNA for the first time since the company's formation in 2002. Styles' current contract extension expires on the 16th, and he will be a free agent after that, and if you've been following closely, you will see that he has already begun taking independent bookings. Now, of course, the reasoning for this is the number one reason things fall apart, and that is money. According to what went down, Styles and TNA couldn't come to terms over money. Uh, there was a very, very wide gap. And what they were saying was that TNA was unable to offer Styles what he had been making. So they actually wanted Styles to take a pay cut. And Styles felt that he was such a big part of the company and the, and the brand that he shouldn't have to agree to a lesser deal. Of course, the departure of AJ Styles definitely ruffles the feathers of a lot of TNA originals because a lot of them have contracts that are expiring so it's very interesting to see how the company plans on filling the void considering that they're willing to let their originals go if they don't meet the financial requirements that tna puts out so you know i i wish styles the best i think you know he was he was a a, a backbone of tna what should he go to wwe i'd like to see him in a wwe ring but the problem with aj is a problem that is easily not overlooked. And that's the fact that while he is a tremendous wrestler, his promo work leaves a lot to be desired. Now, of course, the WWE product, you got a lot of guys that are great in-ring workers and have shitty mic work. But the problem is that AJ Styles, they're going to look for other reasons, you know, his age to be a factor. Um, you know, plus the fact that WWE feels that they have all their independent talent under their umbrella right now. If they're getting anybody from the indies, it's guys that are A-plus talent. Not to say that AJ Styles is not A-plus talent, but I just feel that they're not going to put all their eggs into the basket of a guy who is a little older and has such an established career in the, you know, uh, in another promotion. I'd love to see AJ Styles there. I think AJ Styles would have tremendous matches with some of the guys that are there. If, if anything, I would, and, and you're going to, probably be like why would you do that uh, Evan Bourne is coming back from injury if you were going to sign AJ Styles I'd have a tag team of Styles and Bourne together or to take a, a line from what Jonathan said in the chat Heyman managing AJ I'd love to see that but I think AJ and maybe Evan Bourne in a tag team would be would be worthwhile and it would allow the WWE to really see how AJ Styles functions. I would actually give AJ a deal similar to what they've given to the American Wolves from Ring of Honor, where they have them come in and do a couple of matches and see if they fit in to the WWE environment. I would do the same thing with AJ Styles, invite him to NXT, have him on NXT for a little bit, 
and see if he can adjust. I mean, it's no harm. I mean, the guy wants, I think it's 3000 to $4,000 per appearance based on what I've read on the web. So think about it. You bring him in to NXT and you try it out. If it doesn't work, no harm done because you could send him on his way. I mean, you could call him, maybe you could bring him in as the phenomenal one. You don't even have to use his name because his name is already established. And much like CM Punk, CM Punk got to use his name, but I doubt AJ is going to want to give his name to the WWE for, for trademark purposes. So maybe he could just be called, call himself the phenomenal one, you know, and call himself like, you know, like John Styles or, or Alex Styles or, or actually Alan Styles, I think, cause his name is Alan Jones. So. I think Alan Styles and, you know, he can be or be called the phenomenal one. And then you could bring him in. And like I said, he wants $3,000 to $4,000 per appearance. WWE could probably swing it, much like they're doing with the American Wolves. And if he fits in, he fits in. If he doesn't fit in, well, AJ, it was great, but see you around. I, I honestly think that that would be a great way to do it. And it would allow them to see if he's worth getting the opportunity because it's very easy to say, ah, you know, fuck AJ. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve to be there or, you know, he's not good on the mic, but you know what? There's no harm in trying. You have a guy of the caliber of AJ Styles. You, you want to have him as part of your organization, whether it's, you know, keeping the mid card active or even, even, even working in the, in the main event scene for a little bit. You need a guy like AJ Styles. He brings a different level of excitement with his matches. He has great spots, you know, between the Pele kick and the Styles clash and the spiral tap. He's got a great arsenal of moves and it really, they really get the crowd going. So why not take a gamble, bring him into NXT and see how it pans out? If it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. At least you don't got to spend a lot of money bringing him up to the main roster and then the crowd gets into him and then you got to let him go for whatever reason. So doing it with NXT isn't so bad. All right. So very, very interesting. And this is something that I did want to share with you guys. If you've been following the show the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about WWE's corporate changes. They've been doing a lot of things. A lot of people got new titles and it's really affecting the dynamic of the company. And the reasoning is there's a couple of reasons. So Stephanie McMahon was, is now the chief brand officer. Now her title is a lot different than her previous title, because as the chief brand officer, her new job is going to be to enhance the reputation of WWE to advertisers, media, business partners, and the public to enhance family participation. Now, this is a very smart move because as a brand ambassador, Stephanie McMahon is going to actually be the face of the company and she'll actually be able to, to do a lot of marketing initiatives because she is a mother and they ha- and she has children. So she'll be able <clears throat> to kind of set the standard for what kind of things can be put out either on a retail stamp from a retail standpoint or from an entertainment standpoint that can grab children and their mothers. So she's no longer going to be involved on the creative side as much. She's going to be primarily doing that creative now will be overseen by Vince McMahon and triple H. So it's going to be very interesting to see triple H is going to handle a lot of the administrative parts of creative, um, 
the digital side of the company, any anything like that, are going to report to Vince. But, you know, Stephanie McMahon is going to be more so out there as the face of the company. And I think that's a smart move. I mean, you know, she's a she's a she's a parent. She's an on air talent. She's she has smart. She has great business savvy. So putting her in that role is great. Now, Triple H overseeing creative along with Vince. I have a feeling that this is a formality and that Triple H is going to probably be overseeing creative sooner rather than later, only because Vince McMahon has the final say, but Triple H kind of is going to be the guy that's going to handle the day-to-day. Another guy whose title was changed was George Barrios, who many people know is WWE CFO, and now he's going to be in charge of, he's going to be chief strategy and financial officer. So what he's going to be doing is he's going to oversee the strategic planning of all television operations. So he's going to be the guy that's going to be in charge of the WWE network, He's also going to be in charge of securing new deals with new networks, which is going to be very interesting because if he can secure deals that are more profitable than the current deals, in other words, he's going to be the guy that's going to handle negotiations with USA, uh, Sci-Fi, Ion, all those, all those cable networks, and he's going to be the guy that's going to oversee the negotiations of rights to continue airing WWE programming. Now, given that there's such a ratings juggernaut, especially for USA, uh, they, they are in the driver's seat in terms of being able to get more money out of USA. Now, the interesting thing is going to be the WWE network, because if it's, if it's done as a cable network where people pay a monthly fee, I have a feeling they're going to make a ton of money because they'll be able to dictate what kind of advertisers are going to be involved. Now, if they go with the other model, which is the internet model, similar to YouTube, where people pay a subscription and they can do that, I think it's going to be good, but I feel that it's going to be more profitable if they can secure television rights for the channel and then open themselves up to receiving advertising revenue that way. So it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes. Also, Michelle Wilson, she was the chief marketing officer. She is now in charge of revenue and marketing. So she's going to oversee the company's full revenue stream, not just merchandising and marketing, but also sponsorship sales, pay-per-view and new business development, as well as the network. So her and George Barrios are in the driver's seat in terms of ensuring that the network is not only extremely successful, but that they make a lot of money from TV rights fees, or not only that, but just securing advertising for the network when it finally launches. So very interesting turn of events with regards to the evolution of the WWE front office. I think, like I said, it's it's very smart planning to put Stephanie McMahon as your face of the company. I think Linda McMahon is pretty much slowly removing herself from that. Obviously, her political aspirations are a big part of that. But the fact that Stephanie McMahon is, um, you know, younger and has her finger on the pulse of the product in a more direct way, not only as an executive officer, but also as a talent. So we'll see what happens. And of course, as we get more news about the WWE Network, we will share it with you guys. So that's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Just want to let you guys know it is 10 to 2, um, 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Blog Talk radio feed goes off air at 2 a.m., but you can continue listening live at gfqlive.tv. 
and mtrlive.com. You can also continue listening live, uh, mixler.com forward slash my take radio. And last but not least, you can always call in our call in number 347-324-3541 and listen to the show on your phone as well. So there you have it. Just a couple of different ways to listen. And lastly, if you have a smartphone, you can probably also run the Mixler player through your browser. I don't know how successful that is. I know a couple of people have been able to run the Mixler feed on their Xbox Live and PlayStation 3 consoles. So keep me posted if you're of how you're listening to the show, and we'll try to get other ways to listen to the live broadcast going forward. Anyway, let's get into this week's gaming news because... There's, we got to talk MPD numbers, and that is something that is very, very big for obvious reasons. Obviously, the release of two new consoles is going to be a huge factor. So let's get that ball rolling. So the second season of The Walking Dead from from Telltale Games is scheduled for release this month. Steam actually has the game listed for December 17th. The trailer is available. I believe Slick will be posting it on the site later today, and you guys can check that out. Of course, the second season will continue the story of Clementine from the first season, who is now left to her own devices to seek safety and survive in a world gone mad. Now, of course, you're going to be assuming the role of an ordinary child. Players will struggle to outwit both the dead and the living in situations that will test their morals and control the flow of store of the story through their decision and action. So very, very cool. The Walking Dead season two expected to hit Steam December 17th. And of course, once we get a full release date for consoles, we will send that your way as well. Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider reboot will be getting a fresh coat of paint and be, and be released on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. It's going to be titled Tomb Raider The Definitive Edition. It will be out on next-gen systems January 28th. It will be in full 1080p and will include new bonus content. So there you have it. The Xbox One version, of course, will include Kinect support for the in-game menus, while the PlayStation 4 version will include Vita streaming and use the lights on the DualShock 4 controller. Excuse me. We got some Metal Gear Solid news this week. Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zeroes is scheduled to be released on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, 360 and PlayStation 3 on March 18th, 2014. Now, this title is actually going to serve as the prologue to the events of Metal Gear 5, The the Phantom Pain. So there you go. Uh, The trailer's already online and it features, of course, Raiden, who will be exclusive to the Xbox. And he's going to he's actually fighting the Bioroid Snatchers in the trailer. So I'm going to make sure to post that on the site and on the Facebook fan page so you guys can check it out. If any of you guys have thrown GTA 5 to the side in favor of some next-gen gameplay or some other games, you will need to dust off that copy because they will be releasing new single-player story DLC next year. The company mentioned via press release that they're going to be releasing substantial expansions and they'll be coming our way in 2014. So there you go. Those of you that have GTA 5 and have been waiting to see if you're going to be getting some first-player, some single-player DLC... Your prayers have been answered. A game that I've been playing on and off on the PlayStation 3 for quite some time, especially after they made it free, was 
the DC Universe Online series. Now, of course, a lot of people have been playing it on the PlayStation 4 as well, but the game continues to evolve and grow with a brand new DLC pack, which is the War of Light. Uh, that pack is going to introduce new rage powers, which are going to allow players to go into Berserker mode. Plus, the DLC will be the first of a trilogy focusing on the different ends of the emotional spectrum. The DLC will include new four-player and eight-player operations, new legends, player-versus-player characters, including Atrocitus, who's one of the Red Lanterns, and the Blue Lantern, Saint Walker. You're also going to be getting new gear and some new collections as well. Legendary members will be able to access the War of Light Part 1 for no additional cost later on this winter. Square Enix has revealed that Final Fantasy XIII Lightning Returns will be getting a special collector's edition. Uh, the set is available for pre-order at the Square Enix store. It's going to run you $89.99, and it's only going to be available at the Square Enix store. You're going to get premium packaging with artwork from the Japanese release, including an 80-page hardcover art book, a forward by art director Isamu Kamiko... Uh, wow, I'm going to mess up this guy's name. Kamikor Kuyo. You're also going to get concept art from the game, a silver embossed pocket watch, DLC for Final Fantasy VII's Aerith Gainsborough's Midgar Flower Girl outfit, and the Lightning Returns Final Fantasy VII, uh, excuse me, Final Fantasy XIII game disc. Also, if you pre-order the Collector's Edition, you will get bonuses in the form of Cloud Strife Soldier First Class Uniform and Buster Sword as well. Both the regular game and the collector's edition will hit stores February 11th, 2014 in North America and February 14th in Europe as well. Assassin's Creed 4 will be getting some new DLC just to keep that game back in people's grasp. It's going to be entitled Freedom Cry, and you can expect that on December 18th for the PlayStation 3 and for the PlayStation 4. Xbox One, Xbox 360, and Windows PC will be getting the DLC on December 17th. Now, the DLC is a nine-mission self-contained story containing, uh, featuring the character Adewal, who was the first mate of Edward Kenway. Uh, the story begins with Adewal finding himself shipwrecked with no weapons or crew in St. Dominique. The DLC will be available as part of Assassin's Creed 4 Season Pass and will include new personalization items for the Jackdaw, new single-player missions, weapons, skins, collectibles, and, of course, new multiplayer characters as well. If you haven't picked up Assassin's Creed 4, they did a lot of great deals for it on Black Friday. I believe I picked it up for 30 bucks. Probably before the year is out, they will put it on sale once again if you want to pick it up. Before I get into the MPD numbers, I am shocked that nobody said anything about the shirt I had on this week. This is a retro original Chris Benoit Rabbit Wolverine t-shirt, which um, I'm shocked that nobody noticed it during the wrestling segment. Um, I actually felt that it was apropos to wear it. Just, I, I'm a Chris Benoit mark. What do you want from me? But yeah, I actually have a Chris Benoit shirt. And I don't understand how they feel that this is a Wolverine. It looks like a wolf. But uh, yeah, Chris Benoit t-shirt. Figured I would uh, share that with you guys. Um, let you guys know that I do acknowledge and do have a pretty decent collection of old wrestling t-shirts. Anyway, the big story, the story that matters, the MPD numbers for the month of November. Just a quick time check. It is 1.56 in the morning Eastern Standard Time. My Take Radio's blog talk radio feed will go off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can continue listening live 
via mtrlive.com, gfqlive.tv, and also on Mixler, mixler.com forward slash my take radio. Otherwise, bag the archives of the show on Blog Talk Radio, uh, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, uh, Stitcher, and of course via the MTR apps as well. I see that Slick is queuing me, uh, having a bit of an issue. Ah, there he is. He was, uh, he's back online. Good. I saw that he had logged out. Hopefully he didn't have the problems I did, which it looks like he didn't. And, um, I know he wanted to call in as well. So whenever he's ready, Slick, let me know whenever you want to come on. So let's talk about these MPD numbers, which, um, it's going to be very crazy. The MPD numbers for the month of November are very telling for a multitude of reasons. Number one, of course, being, um, here's, here's the thing. And we've talked about this at length. These both Sony and Microsoft want for want so badly to be declared the winner of the console wars. But here's let me break it down in terms of numbers. So PlayStation 4 was the best selling console of November 2013 in U.S. retail. But Xbox One had the honor of the fastest selling. Keep this in mind. PlayStation 4 was the best-selling console, but Xbox One sold the fastest. So, so far, November 2013, uh, hardware accessories and total spending for the year is up, but software is significantly down. Keep this in mind. It has been ranked as the best month for hardware sales on record. The PlayStation 4 is... 90 seconds. There goes the English lady letting people know it's 90 seconds for the blog talk radio feed. Again, listen live mtrlive.com. All right. So as I said, PS4 best selling hardware and software for the month of November. Xbox One is the fastest selling console for the month of November. Um, obviously it's now have reached the 2 million sales mark. Of course, the MPD numbers, please keep in mind, are inflated due to Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales. 60 seconds. 60 seconds. You guys know the deal. Um, as I said, it's, it's something where you look at the numbers and you're like, Oh, you know, there was really great numbers, but those numbers deserve an asterisk because of the huge black Friday sales. Think about it. All the people that bought saints row, assassin's creed, Batman, Arkham origins, all those games that were half price or lower really changed the, the dynamic of the MPD numbers. So it's very interesting to see. Of course, at last count, just so we're all on the same page, PlayStation 4 has sold 2.1 million units in total. Microsoft also sold 2 million units worldwide to date. 909,000 Xbox One units were sold in the year. 10 seconds. All right. Uh, 909,132 Xbox One units were sold in the U.S. during November the console's first nine days on sale. Microsoft claims that this is the fastest selling console on the market in the U.S. with an average of more than 101,000 consoles per day. So there you go. Very, very interesting statistic. Of course, the Xbox One significantly outpaced the nearest competitor, the PS4, because they had an extra week on sale to reach its own sales total. So definitely very interesting that the Xbox One reached that sales milestone so quickly.
considering that the PlayStation 4 did have extra time under its belt. So once again, looking at the statistics and looking at the numbers, it really is a close race and there is no legitimate real winner in regards to the, the, the console wars. On the contrary, both systems are selling based on different merits. So it's, it's something worth noting. Anyway, the Xbox One sold almost three times as many units as the Xbox 360 during its own launch month. Microsoft went on to add that Xbox One owners picked up an average of two games each when they purchased the system. So I personally thought that it was going to be something of one game, but I guess a lot of people are feeling uh, more financially secure due to the recession starting to kind of wane a little bit and they're picking up two games. So think about it. You are basically spending roughly $650 for an Xbox one and two games, you know, factoring in sales tax, whatever, unless you're getting some discounts, but that's, that's a pretty big nut to crack when you're spending, you know, $500 on a system plus two games. Slick went on to say that most people got Forza and either Rise or Dead Rising 3. I could see that. A lot of people definitely that I'm aware of picked up Forza. I know a couple of guys that have picked up Rise as well. So it is true. Those are the two games that have pretty much received the the most uh, kind of buzz amongst the gamers. Obviously, picking up NBA 2K14 or Madden at this point is just making yourself a glutton for punishment. But that is what it is. Anyway. So Xbox one and Xbox 360 in total have made $1.2 billion. That's the most for any console. The two platforms combined held the five of the top 10 spots on the console software charts. The Xbox 360 sold 674,000 units. Now with regards to the software side of things, you know, even though hardware went up, software did go down a little bit. Not not a lot, but it did go down no, noticeably, and I'll break it down like this. The total spending increase in terms of video game sales was 7%, $2.7 billion. Hardware increased 57% year-to-year, bringing in a total of $1.3 billion. Accessories also jumped up 17%. The only system that did not have significant sales increases were oh excuse me the th- the only console to have significant software sales increases was the 3ds make note of this the 3ds all the games on the 3ds sold consistently year to year it's an increase of 15 percent from year to year thanks to obviously titles like legend of zelda link between worlds and a lot of other successful titles that nintendo has put out so Nintendo's 3DS has been the most consistent in terms of growth, which should be noted because a lot of, you know, even though we shit on Nintendo, we got to give the devil its due and Nintendo 3DS definitely had a lot of great titles. So let's talk about software to wrap things up. Uh, the full top 10 software chart for the month of November. Number, let's start from the bottom. Number 10, FIFA 14. Number nine, Disney Infinity. Number eight, Just Dance 2014. Number seven, Skylanders Swap Force. Number six, NBA 2K14. Number five, GTA 5. And obviously Black Friday was a huge factor in that. And, and so are the other titles 
in the top five, and I'll tell you why. Madden NFL 25 was number four. Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag was number three. Battlefield 4 was number two, and Call of Duty Ghosts was number one. See, now if you look at that top five list, think about it. Those are all games that were on sale for Black Friday. So to see such a huge spike in sales numbers should it's 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 a no-brainer because of the fact that these were all games that were 30% and more in some cases off. I mean, Black Flag, GTA, Call of Duty, even Battlefield were all half off. NBA 2K14 I think was half off as well. So again, all the titles in that list, 50% off Black Friday weekend from even Cyber Monday because Amazon, I think even right now, still has GTA 5 on sale for $40. Slick what goes on to say that I think GTA 5 gets props for being number 5 because all the other games had two extra consoles to sell on. I, I can I can attest to that. I can agree with that. Every other game on this list did have multiple consoles to sell on. That is 100% accurate. In some cases, they had two extra consoles because Skylander Swap Force had 3DS, PS3, PS4, Wii, Wii U, Xbox 360, and Xbox One. So, you know, that's that's definitely something to, to take into consideration. But this list, while it is very indicative of which games move the most you got to take into consideration it's easy to move a lot of units when you're practically giving them away i'm shocked like i said that arkham origins wasn't on this list for how cheap it was but again it's just something worth uh debating a little further i think the mpd numbers for december will really shed some light on the overall state of things because the the sales are going to get I don't want to say they're going to get better than Black Friday, but they're not going to be on par with Black Friday. Maybe you might get a couple of different titles for for cheap, but it's not going to be on the same level it was for Black Friday. And I think December's MPD numbers are going to be truly indicative of which console has gained a little bit of an advantage going into the new year. So that's going to wrap up this week's gaming segment. Let's get into some entertainment news Let's get the ball rolling. Thor The Dark World is going into the record books even more than it has with the following numbers. Check this out. Superhero Hype reported that Thor The Dark World has now passed $600 million in worldwide box office totals. The film made $188.9 million domestically and $411 million internationally. Now here's a breakdown of how all the movies that Marvel has released from the Avengers franchise have fared thus far. The Hulk made $245 million. The Incredible Hulk made $263 million. Captain America made 370. The first Thor film made 449. Iron Man made 585. 
Thor The Dark World has made 600 million thus far. Iron Man 2, uh, excuse me, Iron Man 2 has made 623 billion. Now get this, Iron Man 3, which a lot of people didn't like, has made 1.2 billion dollars. And the big one, of course, The Avengers with 1.5 billion dollars. Now, in terms of all the films total, The Avengers have made Marvel 5.8 billion dollars in the global box office. How insane is that? Now, it, po- it poses a lot of questions. When you have this many franchises breaking, you know, the, 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 the hundred million dollar mark, it opens up a lot of doors. This is why we're getting films like Ant-Man. This is why we're going to get stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy because there's, there's so much money to play with that Marvel is basically making the rules when it comes to box office product. Like Marvel can say, hey, we're going to do a Luke Cage movie. We're going to do a Moon Knight movie. And we're going to probably do a movie about um, Power Man and Iron Fist. You guys won't mind, right? Hollywood is pretty much going to open their wallets and say whatever you need. Because Marvel is pretty much decimating the box office. Don't get me wrong. There's other movies that are out there. You know, the um, the Hunger Games series. Pretty much, there, there's movies out there that are making this kind of money. But when Marvel's, when Marvel's roster of films is pretty much almost approaching ten billion dollars, there's a there's a different level of negotiation that comes into play. This is one of the reasons why guys like Robert Downey Jr. can say, "Hey, listen, my co-stars need to be paid more money," because when you've made a studio five point eight billion dollars, I think that paying your your cast a little bit more is is a no-brainer at this point like that's the thing that gets me with with things like the event the cast of the avengers being underpaid because these guys collectively have made you billionaires like this how are you how are you not gonna pay these guys and lock them in for the for the foreseeable future when you know for a fact that they're the guys that are making you money Mind you, this is 5.8 billion with only Avengers related Marvel films. We're not factoring in the X-Men movies. We're not factoring in, um, you know, any, and the Ghost Rider films, even though they probably made like a hundred dollars, but it's still money as a whole. We're not factoring that in. This is only Avengers related box office numbers. We're not even counting Spider-Man numbers, which are on a separate plane. Because those those movies made a fuckload of money. So for 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 guys like Robert Downey Jr. and any of the Avengers cast, they can pretty much make the rules at this point because they've made Marvel so much money. Imagine if Chris Hemsworth said, listen, I don't want to be Thor anymore. Sure, you could probably find another guy, but this is a guy that's been part of a franchise that has made you millions, now billions of dollars. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy that, that the Avengers have contributed while the Avengers tentpole films have, have contributed so much money. Now it's funny because in Terrence, it's funny. Jonathan brings up Terrence Howard. Um, the Terrence Howard situation was very touchy because some people say it was a personality thing. Some people say it was a money thing. Other people say it was a beef with Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Downey Jr. had him removed. It's weird because 
you know, I like Don Cheadle. He's good. But Terrence Howard, that guy, he, he, he was roadie. Like you looked at him, you're like, yo, that's roadie on screen. So for it to go the way it went, it was just, you know, it was, it was a lot of different factors and it just trips me out that, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. It really is crazy the way it went. And, um, you know, he, I, I think, I think Terrence Howard kind of shot himself in the foot, but, you know, Don Cheadle, here's the crazy thing. Don Cheadle not only secured himself two Iron Man films, but he's also going to be showing up in the Avengers as well, probably as War Machine. So definitely a, uh, a very interesting, um, a very interesting turn of events with regards to that and what Marvel has been doing. I got Slick on the line. I know he wants to talk a little bit about Jupiter Ascending, so I want to bring him on, and he's actually going to help me bring home the entertainment segment for this week, so let me bring him in. Slick, what's up, dude? What's up, man? Not too much. A couple of little technical difficulties here and there, but we are running on all cylinders. So let's talk a little bit about Jupiter's Ascending. For those of you that don't know, Slick actually posted the trailer on the site, along with a very interesting write-up about the trailer and him and I have been discussing off air, uh, some of the commentary with regards to that. So you wanted to talk a little bit about the film by all means, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to talk a bit about it because after seeing the trailer, like I heard a lot of different things from a lot of different people. Okay. Some people were shitting on Channing Tatum. Some people were shitting on Mila Kunis. Some people were just saying, you know, it's, it's a Wachowski film, and they don't know what to think about it after the whole Matrix thing, and in the last few films are just forgettable from them. I mean, I, I watched the trailer a couple of times. I think that the movie has promise. Okay. It, it looks like it might be, you know, a multi-film deal. Like, they might be trying to go for a new trilogy there. and um like my my big my biggest thing is when people, you know, dumping on on the leads, which are you know Channing Tatum and and Mila Kunis. I personally, like I said to you earlier, I I don't feel that either one of them is a like a single leading role. They're both decent performers, and you know, a sea of you know mediocre actors. There's a lot of people that are just shit, but. I don't feel that either one of them are, are bad performers. I don't think that they can really do a huge role like this by themselves, but they're together, and I think together they will combine to form the lead role for this movie in that they, they look like they will play over each other well. I think the movie's going to do well. Well, I'll tell you something. I saw the trailer prior to you doing the write-up, and after you did the write-up, I watched it again. Now. Here's the, here's the thing. When you're taking, uh, you're trying to create a brand new sci-fi epic. It's a very, very huge gamble if, if you don't have the right combination of things involved. Obviously, effects being one, actors being two, and directors, of course, bringing, tying it up in a nice ribbon. Now, it's easy to, to, to cite the Matrix as being subpar, but the problem with the Matrix is, that it, the Matrix actually failed in some people's eyes because it collapsed on itself. When you see the Matrix film, 
you could have ended the, the the entire film with just Neo hanging up the phone and left it alone. Did you need a second and a third? Not necessarily. Think about it. Think about when Neo hung up that phone and 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 the credits rolled. Did you feel that it needed another film? I personally didn't. I didn't see more movies coming myself. I mean, I didn't I saw either. him hanging up the phone and just flying off into the. It was you know, cool. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that could be your cue that there's going to be more movies, but that also could be like, you know, leave it right there and leave it to the imagination of the, the viewer. Exactly. And that's, see, that's the thing. Hollywood has become so ingrained with the fact that it has to give audiences more. Sometimes you want to give audiences less. If you give them less, excuse me. If you've seen, have you ever seen the movie The Mist? Yeah. Now think about the movie The Mist and how the story played out and how it ended and how it just blew your mind. There's, if somebody said, hey, Slick, they're going to do a sequel to The Mist. You're going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why? You understand what I'm saying? Because the, the, the overall pacing of a story is, if it's, if it's a movie that can be condensed into one film and you can be done with it, that's it. But Hollywood knows that it can thrive off building a, an empire from sequels, even if they make less money. Now, I understand with a movie like Paranormal Activity, because those movies cost $10 to make. So even if you make the movie and you spend, I don't know, half a million dollars and you make, uh, you know, 1.5 million in the box office, you're ahead. So that's different. Like a lot of people, they go, ugh, another Paranormal Activity movie. And I tell them, they're not going to stop doing them unless people stop going to the movies. Simple as that. Like, exactly. it's, it's very hard to hate on those type of films because they cost three cents to make. Now, in, 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 you know, in, in this movie's case, you have a brand new, a brand new universe being created. And I'll tell you right now, even if, even if C. Tate's and Mila Kunis connect and they work well off each other, Remember, you you felt a kinship with John Carter and a lot of people hated it. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's all about if 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 the beautiful people can sell the film. Well, I look at it this way. Even though he had done other things. When the Matrix first came out. All you all you were really thinking in your head was, wow, it's an action movie. With Bill and Ted. Because even though Lawrence Fishburne is a, you know, a well-established actor, nobody really, really was recognizing him as far as people who go to see action movies. That's right. That movie was a, uh, that movie was the equivalent of Pulp Fiction for Travolta <clears throat> for Lawrence Fishburne. It, re it revitalized his career. But taking that into consideration, you also had a lot of actors that got a lot of notoriety from the matrix you know hugo weaving is a great example who the fuck knew who hugo weaving was before the matrix like look at his imdb before he did the matrix you're gonna be like ah you know it's 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 very interesting to to look at a movie like like the this new one and not ha not be skeptical about its success because like i said 
you're creating a brand new universe with beautiful people as your leads. And while the story does look good, you know, like it, it can suffer from the John Carter effect very easily. Well, I think this is what's going to work for it. I mean, I didn't even realize, well, I did because they said it when the trailer came out, but I just completely forgot about it. Then one of the other movies, Cloud Atlas. Yep. When I saw that trailer, I mean, there was a lot of ooh-ah moments, but I was like, even watching the trailer, I was like, I really don't give a shit about this movie. Yep. And that feeling carried on to the point where I didn't go to see it. I still haven't seen it. I saw Cloud Atlas on cable. I saw Cloud Atlas on cable. And it's funny you say that because it was, here's the thing when you watch a film like that, movies that involve, you know, time travel and interconnected stories are always going to be movies that are going to, are going to thrive on the success of the cast. Like think about the cast you had, you know, you had Halle Berry, you had Tom Hanks. You just had a who's who of people. But when you watch the final product, you just said, hey, it's a time travel flick with a whole bunch of famous faces. You know what I mean? Like it didn't have it didn't have enough to grab audiences. That's exactly what you're describing. Like it looked appealing, but it didn't really resonate with you. Right. It looked visually appealing. Yep. But it didn't look like a movie that I would care to pay my money to see. And I'm talking about that from the original trailer. This movie looks like a movie I would actually want to go see. Yep. I agree. I agree 100%. When you look at that film, I saw the trailer and I was like, yeah, it looks pretty promising. I'll tell you what. I actually felt more inclined to see this film than that stupid Frankenstein movie with Aaron Eckhart. That movie looks like another Van Helsing. That's all I'm going to say. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's another movie that aesthetically and visually you look at it and you're like, wow, the effects are going to be crazy. But then you realize it's Frankenstein, the action hero. Just doesn't work. Now, which, like, go ahead. which is fucked up from the beginning because you're calling the monster Frankenstein when Frankenstein was the bouncer. Yep. It's, it's, it's a crazy. It's a crazy turn of events with, with this movie. And like I said, like, like Channing Tatum and, and Mila Kunis have, have the potential to create a brand new science fiction universe if all goes according to plan. But if the movie is a bust, it's going to hurt everybody. Like the effects are going to be felt across the board. It's going to be an expensive dud. And, and you know, as terrible as it is, it, you know, again, the John Carter effect. Look at John Carter. Look at all the money that was spent. And it was ruined by poor marketing, uh, you know, poor, poor setup. And listen, I saw the movie after we, after, you know, you had mentioned it to me a few times and I finally got around to seeing it. And I, and every time it's on, I always end up watching it because there's something about it that still gets my attention. I, you know, I don't know if it's the effects or the imagination or, or, you know, Deja Thoris, which, you know, that works. But, um, you know, it's, it's things like that where, you're kind of, you find something in the movie that you say, hey, this part of the movie was done right. Now, that's not saying that the movie needed to be successful based on that merit, but at least you can find something that you can say, hey, that wasn't totally terrible. Hopefully, you know, th- this new film holds that same merit, but it's it's a huge gamble 
you know, and the, and the Wachowski siblings are in a, in a very precarious position because they haven't been putting out anything that's been setting the box office on fire. Yeah, well, like I said, trailers never really mean anything. Right. But it's the trailer that gets you to go see the movie. And this trailer made me want to see this movie. The, their trailer for Cloud Atlas did not make me want to see this movie. It happens. That movie, excuse me. Well, you know, it's it's funny because, um, and I'll mention this briefly, you saw the Godzilla trailer. Now, there's two trailers that have come out for Godzilla. There was the first trailer, which had the amazing voice work with, um, you know, with them talking about the atom bomb. And the guy was saying, you know, that I have become death, destroyer of worlds, and then it just shows Godzilla coming out of the smoke. I believe that was the Comic-Con trailer. I felt that that trailer, I don't get me wrong, I like the new trailer, but that trailer was so, it, it resonated because it was such, there was so much gloom and doom, you know? Like, you looked at it and you said, when I looked at that trailer, I said, we as a, as a people, as a race, would be dead within days if that really happened. Like, that's how crazy it was because you see it and you're just like the magnitude of the destruction. It's like, yeah, you know, you could see Cloverfield or Pacific Rim and you can compare it, but you're talking about a scale that it's like, it's just complete decimation of everything. And it, and it was just, I felt that that trailer was very, very powerful. Don't get me wrong. The new trailer was amazing because the halo jump sequence, like when you see that in IMAX, it's probably going to blow your mind because it's so well done. And the music had, had such a great, you know, a great, it provided a great atmosphere for the film overall. Now, will, will people be nostalgic enough to enjoy it for what it is? I mean, there are some people that are already complaining about how Godzilla looks. It's like nobody's seen him yet. Yeah, you've seen his head, but the, the magnitude of his size from what I'm hearing is, it's, 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 it's crazier than anything we've ever seen. I wanted to talk about that trailer as well, too, because this trailer being a lot longer, I kind of expected, I mean, not necessarily to see more of Godzilla, but at least to see more damage to, to the city by at least the tail or something. And there, there really was none of that. There was the same scene of, of him moving about in, the, in the, the dust, which was kind of disappointing. I get that they're trying to build up the hype and everything, but it's like I was getting, you know, bashed on online because I'm skeptical of the movie, and I'm skeptical of the movie because of the last American Godzilla movie. And granted, they're they're doing a lot to make the monster look more like the original Japanese kaiju Godzilla, and I definitely appreciate that, but let's take the scene you just you just talked about, and I'm like, when I saw that, I'm like, y'all might as well just throw on some fucking Eminem right now, because this just looks like a Call of Duty trailer. What the fuck are these guys jumping out of a plane for? Men, granted, men. No, you know, I'm not saying they needed to have that, but like no exo frames or like 
battle suits or anything. Just men with guns jumping out to fight this gigantic fucking lizard. Well, no, you know what the it is? The only thing that I, I was expecting to happen that didn't happen is they were jumping into this, this storm cloud, and I was just hoping that a big plume of flame was going to incinerate them because I would have been like, oh, shit, now I got to see this movie. Well, but that the, didn't happen. Well, the thing about it was that that trailer, and here's the thing, the reason that the Halo jump was executed was because we don't know the specifics. Maybe those guys were dropping in for aid or, or to see where, you know, where people were. They didn't give. And that's what I kind of like. Like you didn't, you know how some trailers we've talked about this uh, multiple times. They give away too much. This trailer didn't give away a lot, but it didn't give away too little either. And the reasoning that I felt that the Halo jump worked was because it, it got to show you the scope of the devastation that Godzilla's that Godzilla's part of it's not just devastation of the surrounding area it is changing the way that the earth that the that the world is around him because did you see that it's like a giant just ominous cloud of death dude like 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 that alone i was like holy shit like i didn't know that they would take it to that kind of a scale cuz most times godzilla he comes in he destroys shit and he leaves you know he gets shot at by some tanks and then he goes, all right, I'm out of here, bitches, peace. And that's it. In this particular instant, it's not just him that's changing everything, but it's just the world, the atmosphere changing around him. And it's, 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 it, that alone just tripped me out, you know? Because it was ominous. It, yeah, went, it was just, scary. I, I have a bad feeling that they're just going to go too far with it, especially... It's like you've said many times with it's it's the whole Spider-Man three syndrome that with this being you know clearly a reboot movie trying to get you know fans back into an American-made Godzilla series it's too early for them to have three three giant monsters in this. Well, you know what the I mean it's it's gonna be a wait and see type thing overall, right? But between knowing that there's going to be three monsters on screen, seeing the, the whole jump and everything, and just what they showed in the trailer, I'm like, it could still be very good. It could just be, you know, Pacific Rim again, where it's just enjoying giant monsters beating the shit out of each other. Well, got here. a bad feeling that they, they might go too far. Well, I'm trying to find the teaser trailer because the teaser trailer from Comic-Con, like I said, they used the voiceover from, um, you know, when the first nuclear bomb went off and it was just so crazy. I think this is it. Let me see. Nope. Th th that trailer was so insane because like I said, it borrowed, um, you know, the inspire the, uh, the inspiration of, you know, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was considered the father of the atomic bomb was you know utilizing that in that trailer was so it, it was like i said it was such a powerful thing when you saw it that you just didn't know what to do i was like i was like holy shit you know like like that first trailer really made you like like think like wow you know this is this is what nuclear weapons do this is what happens and it just it just tripped me out and like i said i was really bummed that they took that trailer down because that trailer, while don't get me wrong, while I like this one, this trailer was awesome. That trailer just, it really showed more of like the nuclear impact, you know?
And I wish I could find it. I'm really bummed that I can't because it was actually let me see. Is this it? Yep. Check out this voiceover. doesn't do it they took the voiceover out the 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 father of the atomic bomb being used as as the voiceover for that was was amazing this new trailer it's more it was more visual it was more like like hey check out what we can do it's like when michael bay did the wingsuits in transformers but um like i said it's it's really gonna be a wait and see type situation absolutely uh, moving on a little bit, I did want to talk about this. So Jerry Bruckheimer, we know the guy has made a fuckload of money with Disney. He actually assigned a three-year first-look deal with Paramount, which is set to begin in April 2014. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, why is this of any importance whatsoever? Well, Disney announced in September that they wouldn't be renewing their deal with Bruckheimer, even though Bruckheimer started the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. You know, the problem is that I think that they, since they do, they lost $190 million with the Lone Ranger. So, you know, somebody's head had to roll. Now, Bruckheimer working with Paramount, his first project is going to be a brand new Beverly Hills Cop movie. Now, the crazy thing is the new Beverly Hills Cop movie will have Eddie Murphy back as Axel Foley. But get this, it's going to be directed by Brett Ratner. Yeah. That's gonna be a uh, probably gonna be a big fail, but uh, it's you know that's definitely gonna be a wait and see type situation because they basically have said what do you call it? Eddie Murphy's unfortunately been dubbed the um, box office. What, what did they call it? They, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like they called him the the. the the worst thing to happen to Hollywood or some shit. Well, like again, actually gonna try to make a movie with him again. Yep. And then here's the here's the kicker. The other big project that Bruckheimer is going to be doing with Paramount is a sequel to is they're going full on board with this. The sequel for Top Gun. Yeah. The Tom Cruise. Yep. I don't know, dude. Jerry Bruckheimer. It's like, dude, you put out the Lone Ranger. You lost nearly two hundred million dollars. How about you just chill and do some smaller pictures instead of wanting to do huge fucking movies that require a fuckload of money? It's like, do you know how much you're going to have to pay Eddie Murphy to fucking put on the Detroit Lions jacket again? It's crazy. Well, here's a here's another one. Here's another one, too. And you got you'll love this. The uh, the Terminator reboot that they're doing called Terminator Genesis. Um is going to have a tie-in TV series. The series is going to follow the, um, you know, the film story is going to go one way and the TV story is going to go another. But as the film movie continues, it's going to tie in with the TV series and the narratives will intersect, which is, listen, the, the Terminator TV series that they did, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, was very good. And then people just, you know, they, they lost interest. 
I felt that they were onto something with that. Now it looks like this brand new reboot, Terminator Genesis, um, Schwarzenegger is going to be back involved. And now they're looking for actresses to play Sarah Connor, which I discussed last week. The thing that trips me out is you're doing the TV series, the movie, and you're going to tie them all together with uh, under the assumption that people are going to assume and are going to pay money to see another Terminator film. People will pay money. They will, but you know what it is? I'm not going to... Go ahead. I'm not going to say it's going to make any kind of, let's say, Marvel money, because it won't. Right. But people will pay money. I think I think that the thing with... Hopefully, hopefully it'll make budget. There you go. I think the Terminator films, there, there's a lot of mythology there and a lot of storytelling you could do. I, I felt that you know, Terminator Salvation set up like a brand new universe and they could have built off of that. Even if you could have cast somebody else as John Connor and done something from there on. But I felt that that universe was dark and it was already established. You know, the, the creation of the T-800s and all that stuff. Like there was already stuff that really kind of fleshed everything out and you could have built from. But I guess that wasn't enough for them. I mean, the big thing is that after doing Terminator the Salvation, if you're going to do another movie, you should continue from where that left off. There you go. But, unfortunately, you know, it's easier to reboot and bring Arnold back in and toss him a fuckload of money. So, there you have it. Marvel actually put out a press release earlier this week that they are officially putting a Daredevil series on Netflix. Netflix has had a pretty good track record with original series. Uh, Drew Goddard, who did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Lost Cloverfield, Cabin in the Woods, and World War Z, will be the writer and director for the first episode of the Daredevil series. He will also be the showrunner and executive producer. So that's going to be dropping on Netflix in 2015. How do you feel about Daredevil making the drop to a small screen uh, type of a series versus trying to do something on the big screen? I think doing it on the small screen allows you to work within the confines of just better storytelling. And personally, I think that Daredevil's character, it's its almost like you're doing a law and order, but with a superhero. You can do a lot with that. And I think it's something that's pretty much tailor-made for the small screen. I think it's smart that they're doing it on the small screen, especially, I don't know, it's like, if it's going to be on Netflix, does that give them more freedom with, who they can have on the show. Like, I don't know if, like, if it's Netflix versus being on a big screen, does that mean they can have characters like Spider-Man in there? Uh, Netflix is actually going to do, uh, their Marvel series are going to fall in line with their, allegedly I hear they're going to be self-contained, but I feel that since it's all going to be under the Marvel umbrella, it's just a matter of making somebody show up. It's the same thing like with, like with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D you know, where Nick Fury showed up on an episode. It's all about money and timing. And then one episode also tied into Thor the Dark World. So it's it's really just about doing doing the right type of storytelling to make the characters fit. But I also like that the freedom that Netflix affords you because you can make the series, you know, violent and dark and not have to worry about censors or anything like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean... You need stuff like that to properly do a Daredevil, especially if you want to bring in certain characters, like maybe if you want to bring back in Electra, if you want to have, like, the hand in there, 
Typhoid Mary, who is a very polarizing character. Well, if you want to have some, you know, like some Daredevil Kingpin fights, which, again, the question is, who would you now play the Kingpin? Yeah, it's gonna. That, that's a that's a very interesting uh, approach, especially with a character like that. But I think going with the standard Daredevil, you know, lawyer superhero procedural to start, and then maybe build up to the Kingpin. It'll give you some time. And like I said, with Netflix, you could do 13 episodes, release them all at once, and be done. And if it's great, great. And if it's not, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's good that they're they're doing things like this on a small screen. They should have done Ant-Man that way. Right. But um, sometimes you just feel like they're doing too much. I do. I'm starting to feel that way because there's so much Marvel shit around now. I can understand that. Because I, I, it would be, it wouldn't be as bad, like, because you already have the excellent movies, and now they're doing, like, the Wolverine movies and everything. Right. And that's the only separate character that they're doing, but for Avengers, it's doing damn near just about every one of them separately. This is true. Well, one of the, one of the things that, that gets me, you know, we were talking about you know, just all these characters coming back to the silver screen and you're and you're talking about Marvel. Well, here's the crazy thing. You we all know Walt Disney bought Lucasfilm and in turn that gives them Star Wars. So, you know, they're gonna try and crank out as much Star Wars as possible. But it gets even better. Similar to how Disney bought Marvel I, I mean, uh, you know, pretty much bought in on Marvel and bought Lucasfilm, Disney also bought the rights for Indiana Jones from Paramount. Which allows them, of course, to create more Indiana Jones films. Yeah, exactly. Like, Disney's holding all the cards, dude. They got Marvel, they got Star Wars, and they got Indiana Jones. So, you know, if they want to sell a hundred pieces of merchandise with Mickey Mouse dressed as Indiana Jones, it won't be a problem. Well, the only thing that's, that's eventually going to happen, it's like you said earlier, they're going to keep making the movies as long as they keep making money. Right. But people are going to get sick of it. Well, I mean, Indiana Jones and the and the and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was probably the worst film I've ever seen in the series. So, you know, the first and I'm the not third... even talking about Indiana Jones. I'm talking about like the Marvel stuff too. Oh yeah, of course. Eventually people are gonna fall. The only reason why people are looking forward to the next Star Wars trilogy is because the last one was so disappointing. Yep. And because there actually is more story to tell. Of course. Like, the expanded universe has loads Avengers of stories. As an example with, sorry, go ahead. No, what I was saying is that Star Wars' universe is so expanded now that you can do stuff, you know, with Han Solo and Leia's kids, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker, you're going to the dark side, Mara Jade, oh, you, ton of shit. Exactly. I mean, shit, you can do a movie, you can do movies just based on the, the Force Unleashed, the Force Unleashed story. Yep, and that alone. That shit up. Yep, that's a movie in itself. Plus, Sam Witwer, you know, it's not like he's doing anything. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's true, dude. What's he doing? That one show where the ghost, the werewolf, and the vampire are fucking roommates. It's like Three's Company mixed with Monster Squad. Like, like really? That's what that's what he's doing. Yeah, I think if they said, "Hey, dude, you want to do Force Unleashed?" 
for a pack of Cheetos and some double mints, he'd do it. Let's not kid but ourselves. They really should have did though with this um the shield the shield series. Not saying there's anything wrong with it because the show is doing well. But um they should have thrown, you know, Grumpy Cat and Black Widow in there. They should have, and that might still happen because once again, you can pay Jeremy Renner in tank tops and um you know, you, you, you Scarlett Johansson, you get her in there with a, with a couple of uh, People magazine covers, and maybe the possibility of beating up the guy that leaked those naked photos, and you know you can get her in there too. But here's one thing. I mean, uh, go ahead. No, it's like like you said, they they both get work, but they're not doing much. Like they're not they're not making. Um, Robert Downey Jr. Nope. But in in keeping with the theme of of you know characters showing up on TV shows, you know that Fox is going to be doing the TV show Gotham, which follows Commissioner Gordon. Well, one character that we can guarantee will be seen will be a young Bruce Wayne. As of right now, it looks like Fox is casting ten year old Bruce Wayne to show up in the Gotham TV series, which is going to follow, of course, young detective Jim Gordon. So. It's going to be very interesting to see where they plan on going with that because you're going to have a 10-year-old Bruce Wayne in the Gotham series along with, you know, some of the other story te- stories that you want to tell. So I'm curious to see how they plan on keeping that tied in and not migrating into Batman territory too much. That's going to be a waste. Well, in, in the other news, which, of course, everybody was talking about, was casting casting for Batman versus Superman. They were saying two things that have been of 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 interest to me. Uh number one, they're saying that the rumored villains are gonna be Lex Luthor and Metallo. That's what I've heard. The other thing I've heard is that they want to cast an African American actor as Lex Luthor, much like they did a um you know Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White, which whatever it is what it is. The other thing is that there's rumors that Jason Momoa is joining the cast and they haven't figured out who he's gonna be yet. Some people are saying Metallo, some people are saying Doomsday, but a very interesting name that's that's been mentioned is Martian Manhunter. Because clearly, if Wonder Woman's already showing up, why couldn't Martian Manhunter show up, you know? I think he's physically too large for Martian Manhunter. He's a he's a big dude, Jason Momoa. You know, he was huge in Game of Thrones. I, I can see him possibly doing Metallo. I think that would work. Um I don't He's know. Definitely too big to be Metallo. Well, Metallo morphs. I mean, granted, Metallo is very strong, but it's because of the robot. I mean, Metallo's like not a, a huge dude. Yeah, but his body morphs, so you know the use. They won't need to use a lot of prosthetics for that. Again, it's all questionable. I mean, what? Like I said, a lot of rumors were going as far as saying it's going to be Doomsday, and I'm like, you're going to really blow your load on with with Doomsday the same way that you did it with Venom and Spider Man. It's like you can't do that right away. The only the only way you can throw Doomsday in there is if you know he's going to be fighting what pretty much equals the Justice League, which which kind of works, but. That's that's too much too soon, you know, and that's not enough screen time for everybody. Like even the Avengers had to establish something. You only have one film under your belt. I think if they, I think if the rumors are true, bringing Doomsday is just a bad idea because really the only it, it, 
I mean, granted, the, the character has done more, but the only reason to bring in Doomsday is to kill Superman or to go. beat him to near death. Right. And with this new Superman, even though a lot of people like the movie, does anybody really care if this new Superman gets killed? That I think there's too much there's too much storytelling to to go that route, you know. I think that doing the whole thing with him and Batman, okay, that works. Throwing in Wonder Woman, that works. But now you've already got three leads you have to write dialogue for and flesh out. Compounded with the fact that you have to include a catalyst that will A, bring them together, and B, allow Superman and Wonder Woman to break stuff. And you got, like I said, you have to have durable villains. That's why somebody like Zod worked in this film. Because it was somebody Superman could fight. Metallo is somebody Superman can fight. That's fine. But again, it's Metallo. It's obscure villain B. Like, it's, it's like, it's like Sandman, you know? You gotta use the doomsdays. You gotta use the dark sides. You gotta use those, those type of characters. Like, you can introduce dark side in the second film in the end credits, but you can have somebody else involved, you know? Doesn't hurt, but like, Metallo and Lex Luthor, like Lex Luthor better be putting on the power suit. Otherwise, it's a waste. Well, I always say for Darkseid, they need to go and not full CG, but definitely a lot of a lot of makeup and use Kevin Grievo, who did the voice for Black Beetle and, and um, Young Justice and has done many other things. Like, his voice is perfect for a character like that. I think that would work. But, um, I figured I'd, I'd pick your brain about that. We gotta sprint to the finish because we're getting into the four-hour mark. Uh, just wanted to toss out box office totals oh. real quick. Uh, Frozen was number one, dethroning the Hunger Games, earning $31.6 million. It's made $134 million total. Hunger Games was number two bringing its total up to $336 million. Out of the Furnace was number three. Thor the Dark World was number four. Delivery Man was five. Homefront was six. The Book Thief was number seven. The Best Man Holiday was eight. Philomena was nine. And Dallas Buyers Club was ten. Uh, Frozen's Reign as number one at the box office will probably go out the window with The Hobbit Desolation of Smog coming out this weekend. And that's going to pretty much take care of that. I was shocked that, that Frozen knocked out uh, Catching Fire, though, but it is what it is. The kids' movie. You know how that goes. And Disney gets the last laugh one way or the other. In some other news, um, Brian Singer took the opportunity to utilize Twitter to announce X-Men Apocalypse with a release date of May 27, 2016. So I'm sure that at the end of X-Men Days of the Future Past, we may see Apocalypse as the setup for the next movie. Um, of course, X-Men Apocalypse will utilize the younger cast from X-Men First Class instead of the older actors from the first three films, which, of course, is cheaper for them in the long run. I'm curious to see how they're going to pull this off first and second, how they're going to get Apocalypse in, on, in such a massive scale on the big screen. Definitely curious about that. Oh, again, it's always the wait and see, so... We shall wait and see. This bit of news is definitely a cash grab. Yeah, uh, Andrew Garfield did an interview with Yahoo Movies, 
And he said that he's only signed on to do three Amazing Spider-Man movies. And while Sony has set a release date for a fourth film, he isn't sure he'll be back, a.k.a. please give me more money. Because he said in the interview, I sat with the right. I sat with the writers in a restaurant for lunch in New York and they pitched me this movie and I was crying. I was really emotionally moved by what they said to me. And I think a lot of my emotion was because these two guys love the character as much as I do. On if he'll appear in the fourth film, he said, I mean, I'm under contract for another one after this. As far as a fourth one, that's not anything to do with me. But yeah, I think what we're doing here is we've established this world and now we get to really play inside this world. Use our imagination and kind of expand. That's what this film is. Now, you know, I really doubt that Andrew Garfield is doing anything pressing that he wouldn't sign on to do another Spider-Man. Just saying. I'm just trying to get that dough. There you go. I'm mad at him. No, sir. Last bit of news to close things out. Uh, David Guggenheim, who did uh, Safe House, has been hired to work on a script for Bad Boys 3. Of course, Sony is hoping to bring back Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Um, at this time, it looks like Michael Bay doesn't appear to be involved, but Jerry Bruckheimer is producing. Of course, Bad Boys 2 was released 10 years ago and made $273 million on a $160 million budget. One word. Really? Uh, you know, four words. Show me the money. Because that's what Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are going to do. They're going to be like, oh, you know, we got this movie. What Martin Lawrence hasn't had a hit in how long? Will Smith did that, did After Earth, and it bombed. So, yeah. That's what's going to happen. Martin Look, Lawrence hasn't had a hit with Bad Boy 2. There you go. Martin Lawrence is going to get that. Martin Lawrence is probably sitting by his phone right now, wearing a Shanae wig and eating a Subway sandwich, praying that that phone rings. Jesus Christ. It's true, dude. Come on. No, not even that. It's just like, it's like you couldn't think of anything else. Nope. Bad Boys Three. Yep. Not to mention the fact that Guggenheim is currently working on a sequel to Safe House. Once again, to go back with what we said, why would you need a sequel to Safe House if that movie ended in such a way that it didn't require a sequel? Why does everything have to have a fucking sequel these days? There you go. Safe House needs a sequel. Why? Couldn't tell you. It's insanity, my friend. It is insanity. But um, let's wrap this thing up. I only do a sequel to 2012. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, man? It's true. It's Shit. true. It is true. Anyway, we uh, uh we went into a whole big hour of overtime. So uh, before we wrap things up, you have anything else you want to add? I'm good, man. All right, my dude. Let's wrap this up. Peace, man. Peace. All right, that was our very own Slick. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at MTR Slick. All right, let's take it home. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 207 for Thursday, December 7th. Ah, excuse me, December 12th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio or on our interview series MTR Beyond the Mic or MTR Behind the Mic, you can email me at mtrhost at MyTakeRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circles on Google+. Follow our boards on Pinterest. And, of course, last but not least, keep up with all the MyTakeRadio happenings by picking up the MTR app. 
available for iOS devices on iTunes and for Android devices in the Amazon Android Marketplace. Also, if you have Windows Mobile, you can pick up the app there as well. It's $1.99. You get access to 96K stereo episodes of MTR, along with mobile wallpapers and first access to MTR Beyond the Mic, MTR Behind the Mic, and any other original content. You will get it before it is released to the general public. Last but not least, you can always find archived episodes of My Take Radio on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, uh, TuneIn Radio, now Spreaker, and within the next week or two, iHeart Radio as well. I'd like to thank Jonathan Lugo from the Apex Series from coming th- for coming through and sharing a little bit of knowledge about the Apex Series with our listeners. And he will be joining us in January to discuss the event further. And I'm, for, and I know for a fact we will be getting into some really, really deep wrestling talk. All right, guys, on behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the MTR family, I will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening, taking us out. Super Mario World's Bowser is champion, which has grown on me quite a bit. From Super Mario World, the remixer is BXM Music. The original composer is Koji Kondo. You can find that at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. Catch you guys next week. Mm-hmm.